Due to the length of this episode, I have decided to split it into two pieces. This is the second half, which includes a long discussion on Warhammer. There's one. We are waiting on the others. Sorry, smoothie. Well, I understand that smoothies are like the ambrosia of the human world, but you know we don't need to go that far. <laughs> no, I made one just before we like started this. So, oh. yeah, my glass was empty for most of that conversation. I kept looking at like, when am I going to find the opportunity to fill it up again? <laughs> All right, there's Gerald. So was that a, a kale, pomegranate, and soy smoothie, or? No, strawberry banana. No. Nah. Gotcha. I keep my smoothies simple. Usually it's, it's either cookies or cream or strawberry banana. I'd go with some, I'd go with some <laughs> banana and orange and maybe some vanilla yogurt. The fuck? <laughs> exactly. Gotta add yogurt. It's not a smoothie. All right, so welcome back, everybody. Um, so I'm sorry, Joe. We're going to go ahead and pull the bandage off of this episode seven, Tiger King. Just kidding. Uh, made you think there for a second, didn't I? Nope. There's only four <laughs> episodes. <laughs> well, I mean, there are only four lights if we're going to go into that reference. Are you sure? No, so we're going to talk about episode <laughs> seven of Lock and Key. So, as as we normally do, I'm going to do my caffeinated run through of it, and then Gerald's going to come up and clean the pieces of the china shop that I ran through and try to make sense of it. I'll do my best. Go for it. So we we see Sam Lesser with gun in hand and poor trigger discipline because he's got his finger on the trigger. But then, you know, that's neither here nor there. We see a flashback of his life. And I hate this because it, it actually makes me feel bad for him. And I don't want to feel bad for him. Yeah, but I think that's the entire point. Well, you're not wrong. So he... Like... Go ahead. Well, yeah, just a quick interruption, and not in the way, uh, not in the way of we've seen this villain do nothing but bad stuff, kind of way, and so, but we don't want people to hate him; we want them to feel bad for him. Like that, it, it's a kind of ass pull that writers will do sometimes when people are like, "Man, I hate this character. I hate this character." They're like, "Oh, but he's sympathetic." It's like, no, there were already signs that stuff with Sam wasn't specifically okay. There in previous episodes when he was getting counseled by Tyler's dad and when Tyler's dad mm -hmm. asked him to uh asked Tyler to kind of take him under his wing, it was pretty obvious that there was uh that Sam didn't have a very good home life or wasn't really fitting in well at school, right? So this right. was ex this was giving us a more in-depth explanation of exactly what was happening there um right and uh and that's kind of where i say like the beginning of the show made me want to not like sam lesser but seeing the backstory where 
Rendell brought him into the counselor's office. And this is also an interesting uh, key in because this whole thing starts with them doing a, the dissection of a, of a baby pig. And when I was in school, I did that and I couldn't eat ham for a month. Why not? <clears throat> I don't know. It, just, it was just weird. Like, you know, I've got this pig fetus and I'm just like slicing it open and seeing all its organs. And I'm just like, that's gross. Mm-hmm. But then a month later, but then a month later, ooh, cooked ham. I got over it. But so the teacher ran out of dissection pins, so he took off. And then Sam just starts oinking jingle bells and takes the pig, the cut open pig fetus all around the class, oinking out jingle bells until he gets up to the teacher's desk and then slams the pig down, making its intestines fly out. And that's when the teacher shows up. And then he's in Rendell's office and Rendell's like, you know, slaps the back of the chair, take a seat. So jingle bells. Interesting. And he's trying to talk to Sam. Why wouldn't you have done the Oscar Minor Wiener song? See. He may not have known it. Well, see, I like Chewy's point, <laughs> considering where majority of hot dogs, if they're not 100% beef franks, come from. But, um, yeah, I caught your snicker there, Evan. Go ahead and keep slurping on your smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so he's talking, uh, Rendell's talking to Sam about how he had a, a vocational interest in something and then he reaches around back behind him and then that's when and i'd also posted this in our chat that we now know will girl's name it's dodge or we at least know the name that she normally goes by yeah right the one that she gives also And also the actress, because I looked, I looked up because a comment I'm going to make about uh, Kinsey, I wanted to make sure I wasn't being pervy about it. (laughs) (laughs) But aren't uh, you pervy? Well, there's a difference between being pervy and being pedophilely pervy. Depends on what country uh, you're in. Well, we're in we're in the U.S. of A. where it's frowned upon, <laughs> thankfully. Oh, how I miss you, Japan, <laughs> or Thailand, but, uh, it, a uh, lot of Asia, apparently, or the Middle East, <laughs> especially the Middle East. But, anyways, we're we're getting <laughs> off topic because I think throughout this entire episode, the actress that plays Kinsey wasn't wearing a bra. So I was just like, oh, titties. Wait, 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 wait. Is she 18? Pulled up IMDb. She is definitely 18, so ooh, titties. I think she's a bit older than that. She's in her early 20s, I think. Could be. Well, she was born in 2002. Okay, really? So, so yes. And she's from England. So she is definitely Gen Z. And... um. Yeah, she's she's hot. I'm 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 gonna go ahead and say it. 
she's not Christina Hendricks hot, but she's hot. That's a completely different kind of hot. That's apples and oranges. <laughs> well, well, that's that's redhead massive titties to brown haired apple sized titties. Let me see. But yeah, so um, so Sam Lesser hears Dodge's voice from the etching of Keyhouse. And she's doing all the the stuff that uh, ah, manipulative. Bitch I don't think we're talking. Do. I don't think that actress is who you think it is. The actress who plays Dodge is actually Canadian, and she was born no, in 1992. No, she's actually Brazilian. She is, says Canadian actress, born in 1992, age 28. No, uh, hang on. Her family is of so Brazilian the- origin, but she was yeah. born and raised. In- who- but apparently, she was your. You're thinking of of Lysla, Layla yeah, who plays um, you're talking Dodge. about Dodge, right? Well, I'm mentioning Dodge because we find out now in the series that's her name, but Kinsey specifically. Oh, the actress playing Kinsey. <laughs> yes. Okay, I thought you were talking about is okay. I didn't hear Kinsey. I just heard Dodge. <laughs> yeah. So Lysla, because that's how she pronounces her name, is Lysla de Oliveria, plays Dodge slash Well Girl, and she has no titties. <laughs> she's still very attractive, don't get me wrong, even if she's got that really I am just, jaw. I'm just happy you're staying focused on character. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, titties um, are part of a character design. <laughs> Yes, as Chewie said, so prepare to have your normal uh, pushed into uncomfortable areas. Uh, so, yeah, so we we see the kind of backstory of Sam where Dodge first starts talking to him through the etching of Keyhouse. Then we see his home life where his dad, of course, is a fucking asshole and tries to get him to fight him because I guess dad has small penis issues or something. Um, Can I step in for just a second? Because I might be able to partially explain that. Well, you get you get a second. Yeah. Go. Um, You're done. Lock and key was created by Joe Hill, who is the son of Stephen King. And if you've read enough of his stuff, you realize he keeps a lot of his dad's tropes. Yeah, the fact that he's... I didn't know that the author was Stephen King's son. That makes a lot of things make sense. Because this is very reminiscent yeah. of to, of the Tommyknockers to me. <clears throat> yeah. If you ever want to get a real freak out, look him up. He looks exactly like his dad, especially when he has a beard. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So there's a there's a knock at the door and um Sam's dad's still being a dick. So he pushes past him and there's uh Tyler. And they they go through cursory introductions and his dad's actually being nice and not a dick at the moment. But he shouts something out to Sam and that makes Sam stop and almost break down into a 
for lack of a better term, a fugue state. Until Tyler comes up and is like, hey, let's go. So then we back to Key House where Mina and you know the actress and I'm I'm gonna make comments like this. The actress is very attractive, but she should use that thing to get all the fuzz off her face. <laughs> Unless that's just a mom thing and she doesn't care anymore because she's crapped out a couple kids and whatever. But you know, anyways, she's looking through Joe. Is that right? The the principal. His name is Joe, right? Yeah, it's been a while. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, he's, he, so uh, yeah, the name is Joe. Yeah, so he's looking through, she's, sorry, she's looking through Joe's things. And at this point, Sam's broken a window, cut himself, dripping blood all over the place, creeps into Key House and goes up the stairs. He sees her going through the evidence box and then goes into Tyler's bedroom. So through some spider sensory type stuff, she, Nina gets a feeling. She gets a feeling, but she doesn't actually act upon it until she hears the door creak when Sam tries to close the door all the way. Takes off his jacket, goes through Sam, or, uh, Tyler's clothes, and puts on one of his shirts. Also at this point, Bodie and Kinsey are downstairs looking through all her a box of her stuff she pulls out sally which i guess is a uh a killer whale i uh, i thought it was a bear it looked like a bear at the angle i saw it no 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 it was a it was a it was a mammal but it was a sea mammal oh okay mm. now Evan over here, I, I hear you breathing. So was was Sally a was Sally an orca or was it a I don't dolphin? recall any of these things being from like I said, I haven't actually watched the show and watched the first couple of episodes and that was a while ago. My knowledge is coming mainly from the comics, and I do not recall any orcas or anything from the comics. So I'm not the one to ask. This okay. is this sounded like something that was made for the show. Yeah, it could be. And uh, and the three of us and Chewie added because I'm sure Chewie's got some some books he'd like to shit on about how they're not like the book. I don't read, but that's a it gives me a headache. Well, it's a comic, so mm. it's easy. So you have pictures. <laughs> mm. Well, I was I was speaking more along the terms of other literary stuff, but yeah, so. They're, they come upstairs, uh, Kinsey and Bodie, that is, and they hear voices that is not Tyler or Uncle Duncan. So, uh, Michael, don't touch me there. Bodie takes, her, Bodie takes her into the, was it the winter's tea where the skull door is? And he he tries to prep her, saying, you know, when I when I do this thing, don't freak out. Just guard my body and don't shut the door. And that 
and that don't shut the door thing is going to be a key point for the end of this episode. Uh, she shut the door and locked him in, right? Uh, n- not Bodie, but you're getting you're not getting, getting ahead. ahead. <laughs> so, well, I'm sure you're not getting ahead, but you're getting a head. No, of never us. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Bodie turns because he puts the the thing he puts the skull key into the lock turns turns it opens the door steps out and his body immediately crumples to the ground and she's like oh my god Bodie why and he flies around the house now at this point in the in the TV show story. He hasn't tried to go through solid objects, so he hesitates at the at the side of the house and then just like floats back and dashes through. When he realizes he can go through solid objects, he's happy and then goes into the next room where Sam Lesser and his mom are, and he's trying to yell at her and and everything. But of course, since he's a spirit and he can only interact with other spirits. There's not much he can do other than get a get a recon of the situation. So he goes out the house, back around, through the door, and into his body. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Gerald. Did he leave the door open, or did he just close it but leave the key in because of the situation? He left the door open. He left the door open. Right. So... He gets he gets back into his body, gets up, tells Kinsey what's going on, and okay, I'm a little fuzzy at this part. And then we go to Tyler and Dodge, and oh, she's milking this shit for as much as she can because they're playing drink some more, and then I guess they have sex. And then after the fact, like she's sitting in the driver's seat of the truck with her with her feet on his legs, and he's they're talking, and she's like, "I know this great dive bar outside of town. We should go." And he's like, "I should really get home." He picks up a a jacket. I don't remember if it's his or not, and the anywhere key drops out onto the console. He looks down at it. He picks it up. Dodge notices that he's noticing it and she's like, give that back to me or can I have that? And he's looking at it, looks at her looking at it. And then she's like, give it to me. And then he's like, "Uh, take it from me. And she screams at him and he fucking fly. He throws himself out the truck, runs around to the, through the alley, back around to the quick stop. And I, I made reference to this last episode that I guess Quick Stop is a it is a legit um, convenience store business up yeah. in the up Kevin in the Smith east. Used to work at one. It's not just yeah. So he he puts the key in the door, turns it, says key house, opens the door, and walks into key house. The door shuts. Dodge runs around and she's in in the quick stop and she screams in frustration. So at this point, 
Sam Lesser has Mina, Kinsey, and Bodie zip-tied with belts across their chest onto the chairs. And he's feeding them turkey tetrazzini. And this is... And also at the... Between, between Tyler getting there and this point... And Evan, I know you might be getting frustrated, but this is kind of how I do my storytelling because I just barf it all out. I didn't say anything. Yes. I listened to whole like podcasts where they do this. I'm not bothered by anything. (laughs) Hmm. Well, yeah. So, um, so Sam's like, well, let's catch up. You know, how is everything in? Kenzie's like, how's the brain swelling? You know, since my mom smacked you, cracked your skull with a hammer and everything. And she, she, since she doesn't have her fear, even though you can see tears welling in her eyes, because she does have, I guess, an, a human instinct of being scared. She just doesn't give a shit. I don't think she's crying. So she's I, just, I don't think she's, I don't think she's crying because, uh, it has nothing to do with fear. It, like all she lost was her fear. She hasn't lost her ability to be sad. She hasn't lost her ability to uh to hate or anything like that. So she's sitting here in a situation where she is right across the table from the person who murdered her father because she still has the ability to love because she still loves her dad. Um. Right. And they are now in a situation where he once again is threatening. She's just. It's frustration and sadness that's got her crying, not fear of any kind. Well, and and you're probably right. I'm just and it and it and frustration's not a a thing of fear. That's probably more anger. So maybe she's got tears of frustration because she can't you know leap across the table and strangle this dude like Tyler's about to do. Yeah, because she's constantly goading him. Like, in that kind of situation, the things that she says would normally have gotten her shot. But he needs them alive, so. Yeah, and and also, he comes in asking about the head key. Now, I don't remember Dodge ever saying anything about the head key on the episodes. Her talking to him about her talking to him about getting the head key was off camera. Like she goes to give him the uh, the fire key, and is like, "I need you to do something for me." And then the next thing we know, he's breaking out of prison and going to key house. So it's yeah, right. Okay, yeah. So I just wanted to make I just wanted to make sure I'm not missing anything. So. He breaks in. He's demanding the head key from Nina. And of course, she doesn't know anything about this. But that also, um, something Evan had said on the last segment or the segment before, where adults, once they turn 18, they don't understand a damn thing no, about it. It's a magical thing on it. The they key? instantly forget all, like, they instantly. Forget any any experience they have with the keys. Think of it like, uh, remember in Doctor Who, the silence, the moment you stopped looking at them, you don't remember them anymore. That's mm-hmm. what happens when you're 18. Mm-hmm. Like you may you can experience things like with the keys happening to you, 
but once that experience ends, it just leaves your brain. <laughs> right. So my question then is how old is Sam and how old is Dodge? And is Dodge even human? Do you want me well, to give you spoilers? Sam... Well, Sam is around the same age as Tyler. You can, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's an old but, space. But then, clown. when it comes to Dodge, yeah, you're ask, you're asking me to give you a spoiler. Well, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take Chewie's thing, saying she's an old space clown. So yeah, sure. <laughs> well, you also have to take into account that Ellie, in one of the previous episodes, seemed to be specifically looking for a key. So maybe it just doesn't affect everybody. Right. And if Dodge is part of the original group of kids along with Rindle, maybe that mark on their chest somehow breaks that magic. Um, to answer your question with Sam, uh, Sam and Tyler are both 17 years old. So that's why they, as old as they are, they can still remember everything. Kinsey, I think, is supposed to be about 16, and I want to say Bodhi is 10 or 12. So many right. rules in this universe to break. No, that's like the most important one because essentially that kind of creates a time limit for the characters in the show because once Tyler turns 18, he can't help them anymore. And Tyler is the right. one who's like, we need to get this stuff fixed because I'm going to be as useless as all the other adults around here pretty soon. <laughs> and he's basically kind of the de facto leader of the group, so. Right, because he's, because he still has all his emotional and to a point mental faculties, and this also plays a point when um, he confronts Sam Lesser later in the episode. So, <laughs> excuse me. So, let, let's get back to that. So, Tyler uses the Anywhere key. He gets back into Key House. He hears Sam talking. So he rushes into the kitchen, tackles him, starts beating the shit out of his face. And I'm just like, yes, yeah, beat him harder. Beat him harder. He didn't beat him hard enough because Sam was still able to take the fire key out, and smack it on the floor and make a, a gush of fire, which then got him tied up. And um, at, also at this point, Kinsey put the head key into the, I'm, I'm just going to call it the killer whale because that's what it looked like to me. She ripped the mouth of the killer whale open and stuffed the key in there and put it on the table in the winter study. So when she says that the head key is buried out in the woods, Sam Lesser's like, well, okay, I'm taking you and Bodie with me. And then, as Gerald had stated last episode, this is these episodes, I guess, going forward up until the end of this episode, because there's a very important thing that happens here. Um, Nina starts actually being a character in the show instead of just a ghost floating around. So she does all her threatening like, I swear to God, if you kill my child, I will do worse than hit you yeah, with Yeah, sounds a like hammer. she's more of, a, more of a part than she was in the comic. In the comic, she was basically drinking alcohol to an extent that she spent most of it in a catatonic state. 
That would actually coincide a lot better with what we've been seeing of her character up until now. Yeah. Well, I th- I'm under the impression yes, for and, the show they decided and, uh, they that the probably Joe Hill did a disservice to that character. I think he did a really really good job of showing how a person could be severely affected by trauma. But they probably well, also just it. wanted to give the actress something to do beyond just you drink and you avoid things. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so so hold that thought in your mind for when I get to the end of the episode. So Sam unties Kinsey and Bodie. They Kinsey's still ribbing Sam while they're walking through the woods with lanterns. And they get to a place where there's a shovel on the ground. So any astute listeners who've listened to our reviews of the podcast so far should understand what's going to be coming. So Sam tells her, all right, you're here, so start digging. So she's digging slowly. And I'm probably, and, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm shotgunning this. So Gerald's going to come up behind me and clean clean everything out so i'm i'm pretty sure there's a uh, a segue to something else at this point and then when it comes back to sam and kinsey and Bodie, she's digging till she hits the butcher knife so she drops the shovel picks it up holds it close spins around tries to stab sam but he of course deflects it knocks it out of her hand, throws her down, and he's pointing the gun at her. He's like, now you know I have to kill you. But in the in the earth, there's a section of grass that's starting to split open. And a hand, a clawed hand comes out. And like an idiot, Sam goes, and ooh, what's that? And Exactly right. <laughs> like, <laughs> he instead of instead of shooting Kinsey like he said he was gonna, he focuses on this clawed hand and outbursts Kinsey's fear, and she just starts attacking the fuck out of him. And at that point, Kinsey's looking at the gun, but then she looks at Bodie, grabs his hand, and says, "Let's run." So she leaves Sam and her fear to fend each other off. And we go back into Key House. And at this point, Tyler's just tired of waiting. So he looks behind him, leans, throws the chair back, breaks it so he can take all the restraints off. Does the same for his mom. Uh, then his mom calls 911, and it's like five to ten minutes before the cops get there. So Sam finally shoots shoots the gun at fear at Kinsey's fear and is able to get her off of him and he runs back to the house. He actually runs past a little a tiny little blind where Kinsey and Bodie are. So once he, once Sam gets back into the house, he's, he goes to the kitchen, sees that the chair is broke, 
that Tyler's chair is broken and Nina's chair is empty. And are they, they're in the winter study. So are they hiding near the winter study? And Tyler tried, Tyler, no, Tyler has found the head key and he's hiding. And Sam confronts Nina, puts the gun up to her head, threat, threat, threat. And that's when Tyler appears and puts the head key into the back of Tyler's neck and turns it. So then we see the extra copy of Sam with the front door of his house as the entrance to his head. And, th and then that's when Nina freaks out like, what the hell is that? What's going on? What's all this, this and the other thing. And there's some explanation and I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, Gerald, this is when Sam goes ham saying that she told me to do this and she, he like hugs him and, fake surrender because at the at the very end once the uh once the big ass truck that dodge was in pulls up to the uh house and she comes in she does some kind of judo chop to tyler's sternum which makes him lose air then she judo chops nina knocking the you know knocking her down and the gun out of her hand and she confronts Sam, then stabs him with a letter opener and takes the head key, the anywhere key, and I think the fire key as well. All the keys that he had, she took. Yeah, I think so. And she basically told him, and she basically told him, you're not special, you're worthless, blah, 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 left. And then that's when... Sam holding his chest wound looked over at the door, stepped towards it, I guess, trying to get out, but then found out it was the spirit key and he was a spirit now and his body collapsed. But that's when the police showed up and the police shut the door right at the most opportune moment. And he was flying there like, no, and the door got shut and he, watched the reunion of Nina and the kids and then his spirit disappeared and that was the episode I feel like this episode would have worked better if they didn't exclude a certain character from the pilot which is um, in the original comic he what didn't the attack the house by himself yeah Sorry, I was waiting until that okay. noise stopped. Um, so, yeah, he actually uh, had a partner, and it came off like it was everything they were doing was his idea. And they do a good job of showing how the character of Sam is just weak. And this also, I feel like removing that character took away a lot of the trauma that Tyler was feeling, because Tyler actually killed the other kid, or guy, or whoever it was, that broke into his family's home. Uh, in the scuffle trying to save his mom and well other dark things happened in that event but that character I thought did a good job of establishing how Sam is just basically completely weak and that any dominant personality can take advantage of him to do anything 
Well, it's funny you should mention that because in in the flashback, the initial flashback, Tyler forgot his key to get into the house. So, excuse me, he was standing there at the door, jiggling the handle violently while Sam shot his dad. So that was part of his trauma. And um, it, it goes back to when Tyler put the key into Sam's neck and turned it. And Sam was hugging him. And then Tyler asked Sam, did you kill my dad because I told you to? And it goes to the flashback of them sitting in school and Tyler saying, well, if you want to kill your dad, go ahead and kill mine yeah, while you're at that's it. That's in the comic, too. But also, I think it would have helped the character of Tyler. Because I did see up to a point where he basically let the whole school believe he slept with a girl that he actually didn't sleep with. And uh, Yeah, that's in the show. Yeah, and that played a lot into Tyler. I thought that played better with Tyler in the comic. Because, because he killed the other home invader, Tyler is really questioning his own character. Like, if he's actually a genuinely good person or not. Is it good? You know, because let's be honest, the average American teenager goes through their whole lives without killing another human being, even in self-defense or otherwise. So suddenly he's got this death on his conscience as a result of a home invasion where his father was killed, his mother was attacked. There was a lot on Tyler's shoulders. And I feel like taking that killer element out that did not do Tyler any favors in the character development. If you're trying to stay true to a lot of his decisions and choices in the comic, I think it makes some of those decisions and choices kind of odd. Like I remember watching that second episode with, like I said, the girl, uh, him lying, saying they slept with a girl he didn't sleep with. Well, not necessarily lying, but just not denying it basically. And it seemed very odd that that version of Tyler would make that decision. And and so you saying that there was actually a second person yeah. for the home invasion, it would make sense because TV show Tyler has a sense of guilt that he couldn't stop Sam from killing his dad. No, his sense of guilt was that I he guess... thought he caused Sam to kill his dad. Yeah. Not that he couldn't stop it. He thought that he hmm. was the reason it happened. And the comic, it's both. Like, it's that he's the reason, well, but they also wasn't able to stop it because he made a much more active effort to... I mean, basically just got home too late to save his dad, no matter what anyway. But he actually did fight back against the attackers. And like I said, he killed one of right. them. Uh, my main issue is just that Sam is really too weak a character for me to believe he's he was even that serious to threaten a home invasion. I mean, they did a decent job of showing why he would be enough to kill Tyler's dad, but it's just (laughs) the whole point of that character is that he's weak. He doesn't have, like, the strength of character to even have, like, to even just take that incentive alone and go out and attack the Locke family home. All right, Chewie, any thoughts? It sounds convoluted, overly complicated, and bad. So a standard Stephen King. <laughs> no, it's. I would say compared to most Stephen King stories, Lock and Hill is Lock and Key is much much better. Uh, as for the, conv- I don't think it's convoluted so much as complicated, and that's. 
both because in the comic is like 50 issues long, give or take, or 30-some issues long. And the TV show is a TV show. You need to have enough happening that you can stretch it out to a series. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's going to be a second season. I have no doubt. Don't like, worry this that. was very well. It's like most Netflix shows. Everybody was talking about it when it first came out until the next big Netflix show came out. It got more than enough views. Uh, Joe Hill's pretty much a hot property now. Another one of his uh, one of his novels got made into the show that's getting the second season called Nosferatu, N-O-S-4-A-2, with uh, Zachary Quinto in it, I think, is the villain. So Joe Hill's kind of a hot property at the moment. If he's on top of the fact that his connection to Stephen King, Stephen King's getting his Ooh. research instead. He tends to get every 10 or 20 years. So <laughs> people remember that he wrote awesome books and want to adapt them all now. Thank you, Ch It Chapter 1. We'll pretend the second one didn't happen. <laughs> once, once every decade, someone remembers Stephen King wrote a book coming. That 20, actually, 20, I think what it is is that they two. keep making... Yeah. Because the car was not melted I down. I think what it, it is, war was crushed. He... All you got to do is have somebody <laughs> die on it, bleed into it, revive the metal. The car lives. Well, actually, in the movie, the car actually regenerates itself at the end. It tries to. No, it's like there's like a could have sworn there's a bit where at the very, very end after they fully crushed it and like the kid died, there was like one of those just the horror stinger sting uh, like horror stinger movie thing where it's like look it could happen again because you see the car like eventually fix itself after all the stuff yeah. that's been resolved what it does is there's a piece of the car that moves but, at the very end of the credits but it moves and stops yeah kind of like at the very end of uh, fantastic the second fantastic four movie where you see Silver Surfer's yes. eye open and the board. Speaking of things, I'm like, trying to talk about. Oh, go God, towards him. Well, Salas. <laughs> well, we and and uh, for listeners, we we can have those kind of talks about movies. In fact, I do want to have an episode. Dude, if we start going on Fantastic on Four movies, there there are, there are four of them total, and not a single one of them is good. What Fantastic <laughs> movie? I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, hmm? I mean, Chris Evans was better as Captain America. Oh no, he was than perfect he was as Johnny Storm. Johnny Storm. That I'm is exactly what that. Johnny Storm is like in the comics. He played that to a T. The fact that he did just as good a job as Captain America is kind of amazing. <laughs> mm -hmm. My phone died. Is yep. Crit. Is that Crit? Crit's back. Ah. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's understandable. Uh, so we're we're wrapping up on episode seven of Lock and Key. So, good lord, you have thoughts, spent everyone, all this time going just over Lock and Key. Well, David basically did a play by play of the yep, entire no, episode, like he always a does. I'm waiting for yeah. him to just memorize dialogue and do a whole reenactment. And now we are playing David's Afternoon Theater. <laughs> well, 
Well, okay, so greetings, everyone. Joker. Oh, oh, God. Nope, nope, nope. I got to stop you. As professional courtesy, I got to stop you right there. Sorry. Let, let me help. <clears throat> greetings, everyone. Joker yeah. here. And welcome to the podcast that proves you don't have to be crazy to get people but listening to you, hurt. but it helps. Honestly, I like it's better. <laughs> Both really good impressions. <laughs> well, David's is more the uh, Joker when he's like in the middle of a caper against Batman. Batman shows up. <laughs> And then he gets all excited and whatnot, so his his cackle and stuff gets deeper. Yeah, and then Evan bad. is like when one of those episodes where the Joker is on TV and he's talking Joker to Gotham. Oh, I've been doing Mark Hamill he, Joker he's a, for years. He's a lot calmer and more clear. <laughs> yes, well, I I do intend to brace the. <laughs> Embrace the chaos when I try to do but, the Joker uh, as far as my. So, having continue. said that, <laughs> no, having said that, I was gonna. Okay. Um, uh, as far as my thoughts on Lion Key episode, um, so I want them to explain Echo being in the painting and why Sam could hear her and no one else could. Because that's. Mm-hmm. There better be an explanation for that. Right. Um, oh, and let's, and let's not forget uh, oh, Tyler getting that. in them draws. Um, wait, Tyler got laid I mean, already? It's That's pretty obvious that right. Echo is... Uh, it's pretty obvious that Echo is... Uh, Dodge? Free. It, like, has... Yeah, Dodge has no problem Some with kind of banging supernatural. Like, Dodge is, is like a kid that just got out of timeout. <laughs> And their parents aren't around. She's just doing whatever, whenever, because it feels good. She, like she's got an, she's got a plan, but her plan is as far as I need this thing so I can have more fun. Nope, she's actually got a bigger plan um, than that. If they're going with the comic, though, I heard that. Um, uh, that that would be going to spoilers if they do go in that direction. <laughs> All right, and as far yeah. as these episodes have given us, yeah. we didn't even right. know she was looking for the big Omega door until last episode when Kenzie found it, and and even then, it wasn't until this episode that someone posed the question that Kenzie po- was able to then pose the question: Is she looking for that door? But there's no indication she's looking for that she's looking well, for was- the door in the sea cave until this episode. No, so she's mostly just hunting keys. Well, those two and, things and are actually was, tied together. And it was the, well, right, it was, but we don't. No, know no, that like at her, point yet, is what yeah, I'm like her getting the all the keys that, and the Omega door are both the same goal. They just don't look like it right now. If once again, this is if they're doing the, like that, that's. <laughs> I know what's on the other side I'm of saying, that door yeah, and where the keys at, come from, and that's why I'm saying right, that. So, it's it's like I said to really explain it. I have to go into serious, hardcore end of the series spoilers. Spoilers, Correct. which is why I keep saying at this point yeah, spoilers, in the TV yeah. series, <laughs> there's no connection. We don't yeah. know that she needs all of the keys to get to the door, or if that's the case. Yeah. Okay, right. 
All we know is she wants the keys, and then Kenzie found the Omega door. And then in this episode, Kenzie asks, is that why she wants the key so she can get into the Omega door? That's all we know at this point. So when does Charlton Heston show up as the and Omega Man? And let's not forget the fact that um, <laughs> we we assume after they open the door that he'll be there. But let's let's not forget that Sam Lesser has the Omega symbol tattooed on his left wrist. And Nina makes a point to notice that in this episode. Uh, yeah, she did point that out. I had never I had never noticed that before. I know where that comes from. And no, no, I'm just saying it's one of those things where it's like it's not yes, unimportant, know, but it's not as important as that from. seems. <laughs> uh, for at least for the character of Sam, it anyway. comes from an old X Men um, comic with. Well, hey, move. move. As long as long as there's well, metals involved, I'm so happy. I want them to explain the painting. Um, yes. This also brings yes. this this episode brings up the fact that Kenzie's fear didn't die. It's just been out there buried in that hole, and we're like, what has it been Waiting. doing this entire time? Like, just why not? Brooding. Why? Brooding, it was waiting. so active at any point in time, but it's just been sitting in that hole this what whole armor? time. What armor? Like, <laughs> this doesn't make armor. any sense. It's what armor. And um, <laughs> so Sam, the, now I like, I actually like Sam's, uh, the what they did with Sam's character because Sam is a very, uh, Sam is the character that represents how important it is for someone to feel like they belong and to be and to be loved because the entire time they're going through him they're going through like his backstory and whatnot it's that it's uh people lying to him that was the problem when Rindo's dad is talking to him about the incident in the classroom with the uh, di- with them dissecting the pigs, um, he's like, "This is like the the he was like, this is mm-hmm. the second incident you've had this week, and you've had like four this month, and they seem to be getting more frequent and worse, right? Like, and Sam, once he starts doing yeah. the whole thing with the pig, he doesn't know when to stop, right? He he's so he needs other people's acceptance so much yeah. that he doesn't know when he, to stop. To the point where he right. slams and the he even down keeps and going after that. The only reason he stops is because the teacher shows up Bye, and Chewie. he's like, "Sam, what are you doing?" Everyone else in the classroom after he does that has already stopped laughing. Right? They've already gotten to the point where, "Okay, you're okay, this is getting weird." But he's just going until the teacher stops him because he thinks that is making everyone like him. So, and it's also it also feels very obvious that there's Sam isn't quite all there in the head. I don't know if he's like partially mentally retarded, maybe, but he seems to not actually be all there, right? Um, so. 
This is a person yeah. who comes from a broken home background whose dad is one of those alpha male like his dad is almost an SJW picture of toxic masculinity. And like even mm. even when he's yelling at Sam, and he's like trying wrong. to teach Sam how to fight Welcome while back, he's yelling man. at him and intimidating him. So yeah, like don't flinch, raise this hand yeah, up. And so Sam is punch. weak because uh first off, I think there are some mental issues there, and also because he is he he doesn't feel like he's ever been accepted which is weird because he has a little sister who obviously depends on him considering their father so it's it, it's weird that he feels like no mm-hmm. one accepts him or loves him because his whole thing with echo is i can't fail her or she won't think i'm special anymore and she won't love me and she won't want me around and it's it's very i felt sorry for him because it's a very sad yeah. tale of that situation yeah. And then at the and that his life ends with mm-hmm. Echo telling him that he's as worthless as he thought he was. So I I really felt for the guy. Mm. I really felt for right. the guy. Yeah. Um. It doesn't excuse any of the horrible shit he did though. And like and even I, if he lived, kinda... put that motherfucker right back in jail. Um. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of hated yeah. feeling, which is what I had said. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how but dare yeah, you make me feel like that? About so, um, all right. Oh, read the comic is the first one that comes to mind. Uh, the only thing I want to jump on to with the point that was just made about Sam being a sympathetic character is I find that an interesting I had uh, spent the last couple of days watching most of the She-Ra and the Princesses of Power show, and about partway through season two, I realized that is a show that's basically all about abuse and the long-term consequences of it. Hmm. And Sam, and what you said about Sam remind me a lot of the character of Catcher in that show, because that is a person who has clearly been very horribly abused by her mother figure her entire life. But it gets to a point where, like, you know, your main character, Shira, just says, you know what? Screw you. You had a crappy life and all, but there's a point where you had a choice and you chose the wrong one. There's a point where you chose that. That is the moment you stopped being just a victim. All being. And I think it's funny when you say that it's almost the opposite of like the redemption arc we were talking about earlier. Cause I look at Sam and I feel like he's another prime example of that. This person may have been abused, but there is a point where you've just made the completely wrong decisions and taken things too far. Um, surprise. This version of Sam has a little sister. Yeah. I don't think he has any siblings or anything like that. <laughs> I think he has nobody in the comic. And I think that might work slightly better for the character, but also, just makes me really concerned and worried for the little girl now. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I was thinking too. And I was like, so what's. And like, even when right. Tyler went over to his house to get him, as soon as Tyler showed up, he just left. And the scene before that was the fact that their dad got home and was mad at him because he got her something to eat and something to drink. And I was like, and now you're just going to leave the house and leave your little sister with this guy? What? Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Um, 
Hold on. Hmm. No. Uh, uh, let me finish and, my thought. Well, I mean, also on the She-Ra thing, that's the entire. Oh, I noticed. Series. Yeah. That series, I remember. I remember explaining it to my cousin. I was like, "That is that is a series that is um, literally." But you could just come with me, <laughs> nah. But you could just come with me right now. No one's gonna stop us. You're saying how you want us to be nah. together. You could just come with me, and then and and, nope. and then it's like nah. I'm gonna just I'm gonna just nah. ride this evil yeah. thing out. See where it takes nah. me. It's like, but you could literally come with me right. <laughs> That show is so freaking. Terrible. I'm actually really good. Like I said, it's an excellent examination of abuse. Like if I was going to try to explain abuse to children, that show I think is the best way Didn't to do it. Because every show has been abused in some way, shape, or form, and it informs all of their actions and decisions. When you point yeah. it out, I see what you're saying. Because even the uh, tech girl has her moment where uh, Entrapta. The, is it Catra? Uh, the ca- is Catra is the, the cat, cat girl. Entrapta is Entrapta. the tech girl who is my favorite character in that show and the reason I keep watching. Right. Uh, cat, uh, my favorite character is the uh, sea princess. Hmm. Like the, the With the very boisterous boyfriend. Yeah. Because she... Yeah, I feel like she is the spiritual character of the audience because everything that's going on, she's just like, "Yeah, sure, whatever. Let's <laughs> let's just do this and get it over." With. <laughs> I was like, "I oh, love she- her," um, but even hmm. with Entrapta, when they leave, because they think, because uh, she's like, "They left me behind," and Catcher's like, "Yeah, they left you behind," and I'm like, "Entrapta, first of all, you're smarter than this." They thought you were dead because the tunnel that you were literally trying to escape in, when it closes, it incinerates everything. Why would they even? I think, think she's smarter than that, but at the same time, that. she's also very scatterbrained. And I like that when she did get contact with them again, like you can tell she already forgot about that thought. And she's just like, who cares if you guys left me behind or not? I get to play with gadgets here. <laughs> well, right. And and once again, you're not wrong. These are things I, I can agree mm, yeah. with once you point them out. But there is no one – I didn't see it that way when I watched it. So I was like, it feels like they've made her character dumber for their plot. But this – the whole series, that, that, that could be another segment in and of itself. But I, I do agree with points that you make now that you actually point them out. But yeah, it, it, but th- that entire series is She-Ra going Catra. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, notice how I have me. We're best friends. Said nothing to contradict that. That really is their entire relationship. Nah. Like they are bad. Here is the good. Come over. Nah. Seriously, they're bad. Here is the good. Come over. I like you, but nah. How many times? That's what I liked about the end of season three because yeah. that was the moment where she was finally like, you know what? And- I am done telling you coming with nah. me. You're just a horrible person. <laughs> Yeah, and and this is the thing that w- that made it so bad is because Catra 
her entire motivation for the first two seasons is to get She-Ra back. She felt betrayed that She-Ra left and she was still stuck there. But they keep giving her moments where she could have just went with She-Ra. And with no repercussions and no consequences, she could have just went. And she's like, nah. She's like, but I want you to be with me. Well, then come with me, Cassie. So you should definitely finish up. Definitely should finish up to season three. And it helps that, like, seasons two and three are clearly just one season. They split up so they could get it out in a certain time. So, really, in a way, it's like, I'm saying get to the end of season two, because that's the moment where she was finally like, I've had it with your shit. <laughs> but, yeah. But it's... Speaking of... Uh... <clears throat> Speaking of having it with your shit. Um, Talk about what? Take a break. It's actually had okay. to head out pretty soon. No game, no life. Well, if, if, that, if you need to, please go ahead. Thanks for having me. Um, we do always appreciate your presence on because the podcast. Because food had just and arrived wait, a little while ago. Heading, and why it's are getting you heading out? Me. <laughs> We're still in, a, in a, some kind of port. Oh, well, I mean, definitely go ahead and eat your food. And if right. you want to join back. Yeah, I will just, definitely uh, catch up with you next time. Link. You guys have a good time. Yeah. Indeed. All right. Good uh, to have you again, man. You take care. All right. So. All right. So we've got Chewie and Gerald. Welcome back, everybody. Also, if you didn't know, this was gaming sessions and everything under the sun. Uh, I didn't say that at the start of all of this. What did you say at the start? Well, I didn't say it was gaming sessions and everything under the sun. And mm. I am, of course, uh, David A.K. Vincent DB82 over uh, towards the west is my co-host. Gerald, a.k.a. Sukunete. And in the uh, Tiger King state, there is... Uh, Cody, aka Critish the Scrub, and in Florida, home of Florida man, there is I'm Chewy, and I'm just Chewy. Yes, he is. <laughs> he is just Chewy, indeed. Oh, so, I am so pissed off at this game right now. Which game is this? What are you doing on Destiny? I went to look at the Fell Winter Lie quest, and I'm never going to get it. Because apparently everyone else can one-shot somebody with a shotgun, but I can't hit them at point-blank range and kill them. Tell you what, I'm going to go out of the match I'm doing to get uh, what you call it, the fucking... uh, What the fuck is it? <clears throat> that fucking hand cannon everybody loves now. I don't know which one that is. It's the one you have to do glory matches for. What are you talking about? Not forgotten? 
Oh, the one before that. Oh, okay. Oh, fuck me. All right, yes. so when you get a chance, join me. So while we're waiting on that, Gerald. Um, yes. Oh, my God. Has No Game, No Life gotten so much fan oh. service in two episodes? Oh, yeah. Like, episode, uh, this is episode seven and eight, and episode seven is just fan service. It is absolutely has fan service, fan service, fan service, fan service, more than any episode before it. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, for listeners, we're talking about after they have gone to the library and have enlisted the service of Jabril, which, Gerald, I want her clone. Uh, apparently, there's lots of her. <laughs> well, I mean, you you like you you get to claim her. I want her clone. Yeah, I got you. I mean, I understand. <laughs> you know, because because uh, it's 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 been a long-standing thing with Gerald and I. We have our anime harems. I have I have Bell Andy from Oh My Goddess. I have Amane, Amane. Well, we basically well now because we instituted the rule of clones, we just basically have the same harems because we will each pick the original that we want, and unless it's a girl that one of us does not want, uh, but if it's one that we're both interested in, we just clone her so that we can both have her. So our harem mostly looks exactly the same. <laughs> well, I mean, so you've got the the Ione from. Uh, Hold uh, up, guys, guys, not to uh, derail your your anime waifu conversation, but you did have a topic, and I don't think yes. you guys really want to know about who your anime waifus are. Because, you know, they may be nerds, but I don't think they're that much of nerds. Well, if they're... <laughs> well, I mean, you might not be incorrect, but... Oh, bye, Chewy. I'm still uh, here. Chewy's still there. Nope, so, yes, no game, uh, no game, no life, where the, the initial episodes is... Um, Finding out about the old king's knowledge. Hi, Crit. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. So the the first episode is finding about finding out the old knowledge of fighting against the war beast, or as the Sora put them, the animal ear girls. And then the next episode is about actually going up to the uh, giant uh, embassy between Elkia and the eastern territories and actually starting the fight. So go ahead and... uh, Hold hold on. Did I hear correctly that the main bad guy is animal-eared girls? You heard incorrectly. Okay. Who is the main bad guy? Who, who is going to war with whom? 
there is no main there is no actual main bad guy. So in No Game No Life, basically what happened is that <clears throat> Sora and Shiro are protagonist our protagonists are from our world what would be our world in real life. Okay. Uh there are these uh pro gamers of like best in the world. They've never lost a game even when people have cheated in the game to try to beat them. Right. But they're bored with the world mm-hmm. because they view the world as a crappily made game. You know, you win too much penalties. You don't win enough penalties. Uh, you don't know all of the rules, and the rules can change at any point in time, and everybody's just doing whatever they want for negative or for positive. Very crappily built Penalty. game. So a god from the new – from basically a game world or an alternate dimension – challenges them to a chess game they don't know it at the time but they they accept the challenge and the two of them are able to beat be able to beat that god and that god reveals himself to be tet the god of games so he invites them to his world and they accept in his world uh there are 12 pledges that govern the entire world and is it 10 oh 10 pledges that govern the whole world and murder and wars are completely for- forbidden. The only thing you can do is you have to play a game, and there are rules around the, the rules around the game, which is something I'm going to talk about in this episode because it's 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 weird how this is set up once we get to this episode. Now that I'm really looking at the world, um, right? But. Uh, <laughs> And every nation, and and the reason this was done is because every nation on this planet had such a titanic war that when it ended, no one won. And everyone was trying to get the throne of the one true God. So whoever sits on that throne becomes the one true God of that world and can make the world the way they want it. But since no one won the war... Tet as the god of games and one and the only god Sorry, becoming what? what do you need to do for your thing? Uh, Sorry, I win. was win. Um and Tet being the only god that sat out and 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 then everyone lost, he became the one true god by default. So he instituted these rules and turned the world into kind of a game world. Well, humanity, yes. which is the human, which is the humans in this world, have basically lost all of their games down to one province. All of humanity is basically in a space probably the size of Texas. What? Texas? Um, yeah, and oh, they are now challenging one of the <laughs> other races to a Texas. game to beat them. And get back all the territory that the previous king lost to that particular uh, race. And there are 16 races it. in all. So, okay. So, Chewie, what what crucible do you have to play for this? Just so I know. You have to do comp. You're in a Competitive, bit so survival. Yeah. Survival. All right. All right, so continue to hold, and uh, no, yes. that's the gist so, of it. So, and uh, what was it? Two episodes ago, um, 
Stephanie Dola, who is now thanks to Blank, aka Shiro, Shiro and Sora, is now the I guess regent since they're the the kings of Elkia. But she's the one who does the behind the scenes political stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So she like she's been doing all the political machinations after Thora was like, well, here, I'm going to bring Earth-style stuff to this world, and you're going to rotate crops like this, you're going to build roads like this, X, Y, Z, A, B, C. And we talked about those episodes, so let's go back to what we're doing now. Wait, what? You cut out a little bit. Well, we're we're talking now about Big Titty Jabril, who evidently has a lady boner about any information she doesn't already have. Yeah, she's <clears throat> pretty much a bibliophile. That's a that's a love for books, but I don't know of one for a love for knowledge. But she yeah, she is obsessed with gaining new information. Yeah. So so a non-file is what I'll put it in. So we start this episode and a carriage ride after like a, a brief introduction about the war and their evidence Gently, uh, spoiler alert, inability to read minds uh, in in this first episode of the two, Shiro finds out, or Sora, sorry, finds out that they're just cold reading. And that's how they, uh, they were able to yeah. But, well, okay, so sorry. Actually, Daryl, you go ahead and talk about this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this <laughs> this is also one of the reasons why I had to just stop playing games while we were talking because I couldn't keep focused. Um, it, okay. It's not that. It, it's that I'm drunk. Well, I mean, between the two, it probably doesn't help. Yeah. Um, so, no game, no life. So, no game, no life. Sticking to our topic. Um, this episode, like we said, fan service, fan service, fan service. It was Elkia, which is the last kingdom of humanity, challenging the, basically the beastmen, um, to get back all of their territory. And they go through how... Stephanie Dola's grandfather had lost all their land to uh, the be- uh, to the beastmen, challenging them over and over and over again, because the beastmen became right. the third largest ra- the third largest faction in the world, um, even defeating the elves, who are the largest faction. Um, they had even defeated they had even defeated Jabril at one point in time. And one of the reasons that that was the case was because they one of the tenets of their rules had to uh, 
what was deduced was that it was to erase the person's memory when they lost. So this is one of the things I really love about this series. When it comes to them actually playing the game, the amount of luck Sora and Shiro need for everything to go exactly the way they needed to go, considering all the variables that are involved, is freaking lunacy. It is lunacy <laughs> that they're right? winning these games. And they try to pin it off as, well, it's the wisdom of the strong and knowledge and finding loopholes and being clever. But no, very almost every game we've seen Sora play against the the more powerful races, the fact that they won was literally a 1% shot in the dark if anything had gone differently. Like, if any of the people they played against had made a different decision, they would have lost. Like, it, the like amount case, of... Lo- like, Case Brill when uh, Sora flipped the egocentric thing over if she had done anything different they'd have lost yeah like if if she done even if if uh and even in the chess game if if uh now the chess game is a little bit better but there are two or three points where he's like i didn't account for this i didn't account for this what am i going to do but then things immediately went exactly the way he needed them to go so they have plot armor. They're the main characters. What do you hold want? on, hold on. Well, it's right. and I, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm I'm putting this in contrast to the fact that when it comes to that insane lunacy, but when it comes to deductive reasoning, that part of the show is on point because Sora goes through this whole deductive process of why the old king would keep challenging and losing territory so they find all of so he starts looking at the territory they lost and he finds out that all the territory they lost was useless to humanity because they didn't have the technology yeah. to use any of the resources from those places so he challenged right at the time it was it was like uh the metal that they have and coal mines or something and they they had no technology to use those those territory well no the first territory he picked out was a mine for a particular type of metal i forget the name of it but they did but humanity didn't have like, the humanity didn't have the technology to refine it and use it so it was useless to them they don't go into the specifics of what was useless in the other territories but they specifically state that none of those territories the humanity couldn't use any of those territories so they were all use it was all useless pieces of land that he traded off to try to figure out how the beastmen were beating everybody, even the strongest faction, the, the the biggest, I won't say the strongest faction, but the biggest nation, which were the elves. Because the elves challenged the beastmen four times and lost every time. And then they stopped challenging them. So, right. uh, so, when, so they deduced that what the king must have been doing was trying to figure out what the game was the Beastmen were setting up and how to beat it. Um, and 
Sora then deduced that, well, he must have figured it out. And then so Jabril is like, well, why didn't he tell anybody? And he's like, well, he was probably one of the rules was that he couldn't. Um, and when they go off of that, now Stephanie does a really stupid thing in this episode because there's a key to a secret room. And her right. grandfather tells her <laughs> to give it to whoever becomes the new ruler who she thinks could, you know, get humanity back in the game. And she's mm-hmm. mad, so mad at him about him down talking her grandfather, which at this point in time, there's no reason not to. With the information we have at this point in the episode, there's no reason not to think that her grandfather was just an idiot. And so he right. he he downs her grandfather, and she's like, I'm not going to give that guy this key. And I'm like, so you are going to put humanity that like you are going to sacrifice over your humanity, over your yeah, shit. over your own emotional bullshit because you don't like the fact that he's bad mouthing your grandfather, even though with good reason, even though you admit it's with good reason, you just don't like hearing it. So Jupiter, that's a very human. Right. I felt like that was well, right. It's stupid, but I get where you, I see. I get what you're saying. I mean, Krillin um, put uh, all of humanity underneath getting a blowy from an android. Well, right, and he's a piece of shit for <laughs> okay, it. Okay, well, fuck up until Gerald finishes. Well, uh, I, I, I want to raise one point <laughs> while I have a, a half second of airtime. Um, so what, what it sounds like outside of the deductive reasoning is all of these, uh, these two players that go to this game realm are essentially young, young Anakin because young Anakin didn't do anything himself. He accidentally did a whole bunch of shit. Uh, yes. Oh no, no, no. They they purposefully do a whole bunch of shit. Yeah, everything they do is absolutely on purpose and calculated. Like one of the things that they uh, consistently uh, they consistently repeat is that the game has already started even before you have challenged someone to a game. Because what you have to do is you have to challenge someone to a game, and then because they're the one being challenged, they get to decide what kind of game and the rules to the game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you both have to wager something that you both feel is of equal value. Um, and that's how in the uh, seventh episode, I think I'm just going to talk about both episodes together. Um, but what yeah, to not only does Sora and now Sora and Shiro go, what they do is they they go to the embassy of the Beastmen and they challenge them David, to a game. Push a button. They completely deconstruct. Um, Give me a the second. Beastman's ability to read to minds to because everyone is like they have a sixth sense allows them to read minds. But what it really is is that they they have such good senses they can tell when people are lying and when they're not. And then it comes down to observational or deductive reasoning of what the person might be thinking about, right? So people thought they could read minds, right. but it's really just their physical abilities are that good. Um, and then we right. run into Izuna, 
who I have to admit is just freaking adorable. She's the uh, they they talk to an older beast man <laughs> who's her grandfather, and she's this tiny little uh, beast girl. And she they made her as adorable as they possibly could. And and she's, she's who's listening to a radio at Max? Sorry, party. I can't do anything about the radio. Uh, I'll be away from it in a moment. Just give me one moment. Go. Yeah, but she 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 is the Beast Girl version of Sora's sister. Yeah. And and like when they oh, and when they first meet, like both Sora and Shira just like run up to her and start petting her ears and stroking her face and and what they don't get is her uh, inability to truly speak a manity language. So she'll say please, thank you at the end of everything she says, and even if she sounds like a dick when she says it, she's like, "Well, fuck the both of you, please, thank." Yeah. You. But then, but then when uh, she says, "Why are you touching me?" and then both Sora and Shira go to the stairs, and they're like rolling around all gray and everything like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't... Why did you stop touching me? Please. Thank you. And then they go back to stroking her ears and everything. And then that's when the grandpa it? just becomes this, this super muscular beast man and slams a fiery hammer on the ground on the table or some shit. And yeah, it's, it's fucking it's hilarious. The yeah, it's thing. a lot of crazy. It, it's a lot of fan service and crazy oh. antics. Uh, but the basics of the episode is that um, Sora and Shiro bet their uh, race piece, which is a chess, which is basically a chess piece. And when you bet that, it's a king. Oh uh, well, it's the it's the chess king piece of every race. Do they so all when look the same? Sora slams that on the table, well, <clears throat> so hmm. I'm I'm just up to these episodes, but when Sora slammed the race piece down, it was a king. Well, right. I'm and but then I... on every, and on every amenity person that king showed up on their left right. breast, including. Including titties, well, right? But the reason I didn't, the reason I didn't uh, state that it was a king piece is because I believe they're all different. Every race has a different chess piece. So while Sora and no, Shiro well, have the king, I think other races have like the knight and the rook and the queen. So it doesn't really is. So that's why I didn't mention what piece it was. So who's got the pawn? I do not know. They they only show the only chess piece that we see is Sora's is humanities when Sora bets it. Um, and he basically once he 
uh, deduces exactly what happened between the beast race and the previous king and how they had to make sure he wouldn't tell anybody about the secret of their game until he died, which once he died, that took that away. So they found his book and his notes and they were able to read through it and figure out what kind of game it was. And they figured out that what the beastmen were doing... In the secret area that both Sora and Shiro thought was the porn. Yeah, stage. that was part of the crazy antics in the in, in the uh, in the show. Uh, <laughs> they were like, "What is it the key to?" It's like, and Sora's like, "His porn stash." It's like she's like, "No," and Shiro's like, "No, you normally hide your porn stash like in your room somewhere, not in the secret room." So, uh, well, wasn't that why that? Uh... That was a, a point though, because Sora's like, you know, that's why we didn't sleep in the in the king's bed because it was lopsided. Well, and then, that was how they found the room. They, because yeah, uh, yeah, they yeah. had said that the bed felt weird, so they tried to figure out why, and that's how they came across the secret room. But they couldn't get in because they didn't have the key from Steph. Mm. So yeah, so they already knew about the secret in, room. They could, they just couldn't do anything with it at the time. I really hate right, fucking so shotguns in this game. Yeah, you're not the only one. Everybody else can one shot me, but I can't one shot anybody else. Because you're still trying to get your. Uh... Your cake is a lie. Yeah. I think I'm fitting to quit. Yeah, I got you. No, don't. don't no, I quit. think I'm going to quit using shotguns. Total... I just don't care about it. Uh, but it's worth it. To uh, get it. No, it's not. Uh, but it is. <laughs> yeah, when I can kill people faster because with a fucking you... sidearm than I can with a shotgun... But you're a collector, though, Chewie. You know you are. So you, <laughs> I can collect that shit on another fucking day. It's like I killed two people well, with a know, goddamn sidearm that quick, but I can't kill anybody with a fucking full bore twelve gauge shotgun within fucking twenty feet of me. Well, that that's because. I actually shot Phil Winter's lie against a wall and its package spread made me nut in my pants. But anyways, continue, Gerald. But, um, so once Sora has figured out why the king did what he did and realized his brilliance because he was auctioning off he was basically just trading off useless land to figure out how the beastmen were doing what they were doing and sora and shiro coming from the world from our world realized that what the beastmen were doing is they were they were uh they were luring other uh races in to be challenged and then the game they would set up was a video game so it was an area where magic couldn't help elves, which is why they were constantly beating the elves, and no one else understood how it worked, which is why one of the rules was to erase everybody's memory so no one could even so no one could remember it. It's it's how they were able to beat uh 
people like Jabril who are flukes. <laughs> um, and I really like I one of the things that I'm noticing about Jabril is that whenever she has a flashback, she seems to be, if not the most powerful flugel, one of the most powerful flugels. Like she says that she's a part of like the the twenty wing council. Or the twelve wing council, but she doesn't say where she ranks on that council. Mm. But every time she does a flashback of the great war that all the races had, she is all she like. First off, she survived it, which says a lot because the Flugels are considered to be god right. slayers, so they specifically fight gods. And she even talks about in the flashback how it takes. It took 20 flugels working together to sever the head of a dragon, and it took 200 flugels working together to fight a god, and they would still lose to that god. But Jabril is still around. And from the way right. she's rem- – from, and I don't know. This might just be her hyping herself, but Jabril doesn't seem to be that kind of character. She's too methodical, if that makes sense, where – Every time she has that yeah. flashback, she's like just having the time of her life, right? And she survived all of that, which says a lot about just how powerful she actually is. Um, and that's a lot yeah. of this show, and it's one of the th- it's another one of the things that I like about it because they have all this fan service and wacky antics, and then they'll give you a brief glimpse into how dark this world actually is because there's a in... yeah, there's a point in the show where Sora and Tet after they've challenged the Beastmen and they're waiting for a response where they're sitting in the throne and Stephanie and Jabril are talking to them and Spoilers. Stephanie uh what that's not a spoiler Spoilers. this was in both of these episodes well I well, hell, I don't remember yeah. that then. Shit. Yep, this was in both episode seven and eight. So there's a point where Jabril and Stephanie are in front of Sora and Shiro, and they're sitting in the throne. And I forget the exact uh, altercation that they had, but Jabril is stating, oh, Jabril is making, because Stephanie is yelling at them for, betting the chess piece of humanity because what it means to bet your chess piece for your Mm -hmm. race or your race piece is that if you lose you lose all protections from the the pledges yeah you you basically become an animal no race has ever bet their race piece this is the first time and jabril sees that as well because these are my masters and those who i have chosen worthy for me to serve some you need a leader who is willing to bet everything who is willing to lose everything for the sure for the sure kill of their enemy and sora and shiro stop and they go wait what and Jabril and Steph both and Steph was thinking about it. She mm. was like, Oh, maybe that's true. And Sora and Shiro are like, uh, no. And they're like and they both look at them and they're like, What? And he's like and, and Sora just goes, Really? You haven't figured out the game yet? And they and they're just they don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and he's like, Geez, 
Yeah, both of them. Yeah, and he's like, geez, no wonder (laughs) Tet is so bored. And then Shiro's like, poor Tet. So you have to remember that one of these pledges, the very last pledge is let's all play together and have fun. But all of the races, all they've been Mm. doing is continuing their war under the new rules and trying to, that's why everyone's been challenging each other, challenging each other and taking territory and stuff like that. That was Tet's intent was, it feels like Tet's intent was to get everyone to start getting along to, to get rid of the animosity of the wars. Now, this is another thing about the show that's weird as well, because it seems their continuity is really messed up. Because, like I was saying in the previous podcast, it Mm. feels like this war couldn't have happened more than like 20 years ago. But when everybody talks about it, they talk about it like it happened thousands of years ago. But that cannot be the case under what is current, what we're currently presented. So I don't know if I'm just missing something or if their continuity is just all the hell. Um. So, Beastmen challenge, and then at the end of the eighth episode, um, the game has already started, and Sora is telling Shiro, I believe in you, you can do this, I'm going to get us the last thing that we need to win, I'll see you at the... And, and, and the, the weird thing about that is, she's playing a game of reversey, or as a us uh, American folk would know as Othello where you place discs down and if you place them in a in a row you flip them to your color hmm. mm. I, I didn't, I didn't correct notice that. In that assumption <laughs> Shut up, Chewie. <laughs> She's playing, what did you call it? That's a play. Othello. It's a play and it's a game. Reversi is just another way of calling it that. I don't know, maybe it's because I grew up in Texas, like that that particular game. I know it as Othello. Mm, okay. You sure you're not talking about Chinese checkers? I'm sure I'm not talking or about shogi. Chinese checkers. <laughs> I don't even know all the rules for the pieces of shogi or qigong or whatever the Chinese version of it is. Although I do want to learn that. Because Shogi just seems like it would be a a better game that I could get my ass kicked to with more rules than chess. Well, I got one of them. Chewie, why are you dying so much? Stop dying. But anyway, so is is that all the talk we have for uh, 
fuck. I, I shouldn't have said something. Well, motherfuckers using hard light, so I, I can't really say that. Uh, but yeah, so is that so? Final thoughts for um, uh, no, no game. I no do list? have some things I do want to bring up. One of the things I wanted to bring up is Kura- is uh, Karami, who is the humanity girl who's uh, who's joined forces with that particular elf because she's not on the race of the elf side. She's on that one particular elf side, and that elf seems to. And that one particular elf has some big titties. Holy shit, does she have big titties? Sorry. <laughs> I should just come to expect it now. I don't know why I get so surprised. Um, but uh, so big titties. Karami <laughs> cannot believe that humanity, who is the lowest order of exceed, um, and thus the weakest of the races, cannot believe that Sora and Shiro could have beat her without someone's help and at Welcome first back, they Rick. think they think it's the beastmen right so they think they're in cahoots with the beastmen which is also what a lot of people start to think because they bet their race piece so they think what they're doing is what? they're challenging the beastmen to lose on purpose of the absorb humanity the fact that and and it's i like this and i don't mm-hmm. know if it was intentional or not but i like that the reason Shiro and um, Sora were able to beat Karumi was because she didn't know. It was the unknown that allowed them hmm. to win, basically. She held back a lot in their chess game because she wasn't sure who was helping them. And if they could prove she was cheating, she would lose automatically. Right? So I find it interesting because humans have a natural fear of the unknown. It is just instinctive in our nature. So I find it interesting that Sora and Shiro's biggest weapon is humanity's greatest fear. Because that is their actual weapon. That is their actual edge over all the other races. The unknown. The other races don't know and they're constantly underestimating them so i found that to be a really interesting thing in the show um also uh, when i go back to what tet how tet set up the pledges i don't feel like tet is a stupid god but we don't get enough information about tet to really make that assumption gods have a tendency in our own mythologies to be Mm. monumental idiots um the the majority of them, not all of them, but it, it they tend as a majority to be kind of just kids with too much power, toddlers that toddlers that realize they're Superman. That's that that's usually what what how gods tend to. Was that a Futurama? I don't remember. It's been so long since I've watched Futurama. It was. Well, I mean. There was an episode where it was um, <sighs> Jesus fucking Christ. Why can't I think right now? Alcohol. Um, it was. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking. 
<laughs> well, you're but it was um, it was the Asian guy, it was the black girl, and it was Chekhov. In in the future, well, I know who you're talking about, but I don't um, have any context for the episode. It was well, the episode was it was a sentient cloud who was godlike and was trying to make them reenact. Okay, that I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then his mom came and got him. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. To the the point where um, Chekhov's, Chekhov's actor was like, I'm not going to say nuclear weapons. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I remember that episode. The the godlike uh, energy mm. cloud. I'm pretty sure that was yeah. a direct uh, that was also yeah. like, a, like a direct parody of an actual Star Trek episode. Where they ran into some similar kind of entity. Where'd yeah, you go, I'm taking Joey? a destiny break. I'm getting pissed at it. But uh, what I wanted, yeah, what I, I found you. odd is that so the big problem with humanity, right, is that humanity has no ability to manipulate magic mm-hmm. at all. They they can't use magic, but they also can't even sense it. So that's one of the reasons they were at such a huge disadvantage. And someone brings up in the show that how did uh, Sora even brings up, I think, at one point, he's like, how in the world did humanity survive in this world before Tet put in the pledges? Um, And if you've watched the movie, you you know, you you know why, you know how. Um, And I won't spoil that. We won't go into the I won't go into the movie until we go get through all the episodes but um yeah yeah. i haven't watched the movie yet but uh, it's on netflix but the movie explains how humanity was actually surviving during the war um but one of the things that i found odd was that even with the way the pledges are set up it puts humanity at literally a huge disadvantage because you would think well humanity was being the king was doing what he was doing to get information on how to beat the games but at the same time if you challenge someone they get to decide what the game is and what the rules are and if someone challenged so if if humanity had just sat back and let people challenge them couldn't they have made a rule where you couldn't use magic or the playing field was even so beastmen wouldn't get all their hyper physical abilities or humans would get these abilities so that they could play on even terms but the problem is you can cheat mm. there's no rule against cheating and then you have to be able to prove that the person was cheating so even if you were like okay magic is one of the rules is magic can't be used well, they well, they'll still be able to use magic, and you have to be able to prove it. So, right, Im- <laughs> humanity literally could not play against the other races um, under these conditions. They 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 just can't. And and once again, we come back to the fact that Sora and Shiro are winning because plot armor, because they're the protagonists, and so the story needs them to win. But under normal circumstances, they would never be well, able to have won so, the games that they won. They also have 
except for maybe the chess game. The chess game, they might have been able to bluff their way through, but they could never. Uh, the way that they've been going about winning just doesn't work. So, because, um, like, Jabril is the best example that we have up to now, right? The fact that they won against Jabril was a literal shot in the dark, 0.0000001% chance. That was lunatic luck that they defeated Jabril. Well, it was also it was also the fact that Sora started that match out with an atom bomb, just so he knew that he could use our world physics in that world. Well, no, for it, the game. It, the only reason they won that is because Jabril used the word egocentric. He, she even brings up that fact. She was like, the fact that you counted on the fact that I would be so egocentric as to use that word against you as a final blow for me to win, and you anticipated and counted on that, you must be a little insane. And she's right. Because <laughs> if she had not used egocentric, she would have won. But who would have burned up first when they got to the core, though? So that's kind of how. So, like when Sora grabbed Shiro's arm and they ran up the Colosseum and jumped, and Sora said, "The what was it?" Um, Lithosphere. Well, right, but all of those were steps leading up to that one moment. That's what I'm saying. He set the stage, but if Jabril had done mm. anything different, it would have... This, this is a case of the plan had to go perfectly. Remember, the simplest plan is always the most effective because there aren't so many parts that can go wrong. Every single one of... Sora's entire plan during that game was this long, convoluted chain of things that needed to go perfectly right. If, mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, you're, if you're Jabril's wrong. decisions had been different at any point in time, like, Jabril could have brought her magic circles, her magic circuits back. Because remember, the rule of the game was that. If you do a thing, it takes it away, and then if you do it, if you say it again, it brings it back. And you can't do the same word. You yourself can't do the same word twice. So you can use a word that someone else has used, but they, but you can't then do it again. Well, he took away her magic circuits. She could have just given herself her magic circuits back, and then she would have had all of her powers back, and then she would have won. But she didn't think she needed to. Oh, but but she if she did. had made the decision, let me just bring my magic circuits back and just win, they lost. They she would have won. If she had decided to use a different word outside of egocentric, she would have won. If she had, mm-hmm. well, I mean. Like, I mean, you're not wrong. And and they talk about how what it is 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 the wisdom of the weak. 
because she thought she was already going to win, she underestimated them. And and that's the thing. It's a lot of the strong underestimating the weak and then the weak taking advantage of it. Right? So this was a good example of that. But if she had done right. anything different, they would have lost. So again, I will say, you are not wrong so, in that. But so yeah, it all it feels weird that Tet would set up a game world where everyone wouldn't have an equal ability to win, where the where the where the where everyone isn't on equal footing, and and I I akin it to this. It would be like if you were in a tournament for Dragon Ball Fighters and your opponent had the ability to instantly react to anything you did instantaneously. Or they had the ability to read your mind so they knew what you were going to do before you did it. Or they had twice as much health, did twice as much damage, took half as much damage. Like, that's what humanity has been having to deal with when it comes to these games. They're dealing with other races who, even before this was set up, already had ridiculous advantages over them. But they still have those advantages. This didn't really level the playing field for humanity at all. Like, when you think, when you think about it, their previous king literally spent eight years just gathering information because he was hoping one person in humanity would be intelligent enough to use that information to allow them to win. And he had no idea how long that would take. Generations. Even even Sora mm. admitted that even Jabril was like, Sora, there, there aren't any humans that think like you and Shiro do. And Sora was like, well, there are, but they're like one in a million. There are very few. He's like, there are others who think like we do. They're just very, very few. Maybe a handful in all of the human race. Right. So right. it just feels weird that Tet set things up like he did um, and not giving everyone an equal opportunity to win, which brings up the old deuce and why we haven't seen them participating at all. And the old deuce are the gods. They're the first order of exceed. And the only thing I can think of is no one is dumb enough to either challenge or accept a challenge from them because, well, they're gods. So, um, and that's the only thing I can think of, but also maybe it's because the old deuce don't have anything to offer the other races because they're gods. They may not hold any territory or land. So what can they really offer other than their own servitude? And what would they accept as equal as an equal wage for that? Plus they're gods and they might be too proud to even give a fuck. So, so it's it, I, I just it, so it's weird that the elves were are the strongest when they're like the third or second order of exceed. Um, hmm, was there anything else I wanted to bring up? Oh, and I do. 
this the, uh no game no life has a lot of like good moments because there's the moment where Sora is talking about how he doesn't believe in humanity and then that <sighs> one person which was Shiro showed up that made him believe and then you see the look on Jabril's face the show conveys a lot with just expressions I've noticed that the show will convey a lot with just expressions. So Jabril starts off as this character that sees humanity as nothing but bugs, but you can see her slow progression to becoming a believer in humanity as well, simply because of Sora and Shiro. Yeah. 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 You're not wrong. So, so um, Crit says, Call him after uh, after the podcast. The All right, thing? I can do that. But those are my final thoughts on No Game No yeah. Life. Still really enjoying it. The more I critique it, the more I find little things like little Easter eggs that I really like about the show. Um, and I'll reiterate again: it's not perfect, but it's a pretty mm. fun ride so far. And I do appreciate the fan service. <laughs> oh. It is definitely a fun ride, and I definitely appreciate the fan service. I am going to be the first to not lie about that. So, shall we continue on to Good versus Evil, or... Uh, we, we may want to take a break stop. if we want to go to good versus evil. Um, I'm good to go ahead into it. Um, I don't know how long you... I mean, we're getting... I was unfortunate. I was late to the podcast because I slept through my alarm. Um, so it's really up to you whether you uh, want to stop. Mm-hmm. The good versus evil topic might take a while. There's a lot to it. Um, I don't know, or there may not be much to it at all. I I, I don't know. It depends on it, it depends where my brain goes. Joey, do you feel like uh, talking As about good versus evil, or human beings, or what? All of the above. Okay. Yes. So. How long should I give us a um, break? I'm for? good to go. Really? I've I've got water. I've got snacks. But like, I'm good to go whenever. Hmm. <laughs> All right. So we will be back to talk about the eternal question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Before we get started on, yeah, um, so Chris sent me a message saying to call him about the Warhammer Two segment. I feel yeah. like once we're done yeah. with good and evil, we're probably not going to be doing that segment. So, do you want to do that segment instead of good and evil, and do good and evil as like the majority of the next podcast, or do you want to do good and evil, and then I can just save Warhammer Two for later? Well, it's going to be a matter of is Crick going to come and talk about it? Uh, that's what he said. He wanted me to let him know when that segment started. I am assuming from that he intends to be a part of that conversation. 
So let's, uh, sorry, Chewy, let's go ahead and do Warhammer. Okay. So if we're going to do Warhammer and push good and evil back again, the next podcast, our first topic is going to be good and evil. No getting sidetracked. We're we're gonna have the phil- philosophical discussion on that. Mm. So is that gonna be besides the episode eight of Lock and Key and the other episodes of No Game No Life? So we're just we gonna... are gonna make it the first topic on the docket, and then when we're done with that, we'll go into the episodes for No Game No Life and Lock and Key. Because we've put off we've put off this conversation for like six podcasts now. We had this idea like around our third or fourth podcast. Longer. So it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, longer yeah. than that. It's been yeah. longer than that. So yeah. go ahead so, and then here I'll. Well, I don't know if I can. Uh, well, let me crit- see if I can. Yeah. Let's see. So Chewy, Chewy, what 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 do we need to do to get you the lie? While we're waiting for Crit to show up. Actually, will let me. Joey, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. So, what do we? What do I need to do to help you to get the lie? There's nothing you can do, dude. I have to get fucking shotgun kills in the crucible. So I'm really not worried about it. Well, it shouldn't have to be specifically survival. No, No, I didn't do survival. I'm not really with it right now, dude. I'm not worried about it. Okay. So what do you know about Warhammer? Nothing. <laughs> no, mommy got it. All right. Domain Curtis Scrap has arrived for the Warhammer segment. Is that there is crit, so, so crit, I I must say there is a Harris so much. <clears throat> Mm. Okay, I'm back. Uh, so okay, so Chewy, I, yeah. I hope you have some popcorn available because this is gonna be good. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know why you're saying it's gonna be good? We're gonna have to on the next podcast. We're gonna have to do a Chewy topic. We need to let Chewy pick a topic or two. No, I don't care, dude. It's just uh, Chewy. <laughs> Chewy, well, right? Chewy but we is... want you to be a part of the conversation as well. He's... Or at least I want. Well, anytime I hear something, I can make a comment on. I make a comment on. 
Yeah, he Chewy, Chewy is here. He can he'll make a comment when he hears something that he can make a comment on. And and we've uh, we've we've yeah we've we've told him that. <clears throat> David, are you into the twelve, the six, or the keg? Um, don't ask. Okay. Cause I've got a uh, I've got a Keystone eighteen pack here that is actually equivalent to a case of beer, and I can reach my arm down into it to get beer. So, so this is something that has actually worried me. Do I sound like I am intoxicated right now? You sound slower than normal. Mm. And slightly slurred. And not being able to make words or sentences. So you're saying I cannot make words and or sentences? He says whilst he makes words and or sentences. Uh huh. <laughs> so I think it's being said that-, that it seems to be harder for you to do so, <laughs> which is what alcohol does. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's working properly. <laughs> so, listeners, do not do what I do and get super fucking drunk. Just saying. Crit, are you there? Because I'm like I have half a chub thinking about all this Warhammer shit. So make it make it a full stop. Bye, Crit. Did we see me? Can you hear me now? Because I can hear that whole conversation. Hi, Chris. Yes. And I was talking to you, but no one could hear me. Yeah, we couldn't hear you. We could yeah, hear you. I gathered. Because uh, I, I was talking. Uh, yeah, yeah. Talking over me. Dicks. Anyway. <laughs> Speaking of dicks, uh, yes, mine, we all have one. <sighs> Speaking of dicks, mine's only at half a stock. Make sure that uh, mine is throbbing hard and about to release some heresy once you're finished talking. Well, I don't have... I I have a voice for radio and a face for radio, but I don't think I have a voice for a sex line, so you might be screwed. Either way, we're moving right along into the new DLC for Total War Warhammer 2. Also included in this is the free LC of... Coming with it, which is the Greenskins uh, rework and Emric, Lord of Dragons, because High Elves needed not one but two new lords in addition to being the most powerful race in the game. And they needed all their generals to be on dragons, apparently. Every single last one. Oh, and they needed like four new lords of magic available. And all the interns. 
No, that's and they needed a better system of influence, which leads kind of general. ridiculous. They they already have the best generals in the game. All right, so some content context. You buy your generals with gold and the available pool for generals, lords, um, let me phrase that, generals and agents rotates every 10 to 15 turns, something like that. Once that stock rotates, you it, one drops off and another one gets added and so on and so forth. So the more potential uh, uh, agents you have, the more likely you are to get the traits that come on those agents and generals that you really want. Now, for the High Elves, there's a particularly strong one that got nerfed, but it's still really powerful, called Entrepreneur, which gives a... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, continue. What, baby? Okay. Sorry. Uh, It gives a plus 3% tax uh, rate collection rate faction wide and I think it's plus 15% increase in either tradable income or uh, income from the prov- the local province uh, something like that now this is after it got nerfed so you can imagine a fully torqued out or like an in-game high elf build where you have a dozen provinces and you have dozens of different types of agents and a few lords all with a great number of them having this trait you're not looking at you know 3% you're looking at 15% increase in your tax rate faction wide and you've got agents sitting in every province, you know, increasing your your money. You know, your your Yeah, I thought it was odd that they gave the generals the entrepreneur trait. It's like So yeah, I I have one of those for my defense board. Well, right, and that's what they're for. They're for your armies that you just leave back home to hold the to hold the borders. And it's like, but what? <laughs> it's like why yeah. would you give them that <laughs> like all right. because taxes are a thing right and I have no problem with them, them doing that and this is bear in mind these numbers are post nerf right and the Hiles were already the richest faction in the game Right, you just you, you make so damn much money. Now, as stated before, you use gold to get all of your uh, generals. Well, the high elves. What, baby? Uh, the ones in baskets are clean. The ones by the front door, uh, by the door to the girls' room, are dirty. Sorry, listeners had a bit of a debate there. Anyway, um, so to get mm-hmm. generals that are actually worth a damn, you also spend influence. Where's my youngest? 
Where's my youngest? Willow? Where you what are you doing? Get back in there. Um, I'm just gonna say that Willow is a definite good eighties reference. Uh Willow is actually early nineties reference from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I do get your point. Go. Mm. Moving along. So some of the traits you can get for like 60 influence, which in the old system was really freaking hard to get because you could only get it by eight agent actions and events. And only one agent out of the dozens that you could potentially recruit or half dozen or so you could potentially recruit different types. Willow Irene? Get my ponytail. Uh, that's okay. Your ponytail is out. Stay inside. <sighs> Sorry. This is where the swamp things come in and uh, do the do the stuff. Right. Anyway, so basically, high elves get access at an additional cost to generals that are better than everyone else's generals combined. Right? You can get one that's uh, incinerate, I think. And the list of bonuses that they get, they have like six or seven bonuses. Whereas every other general might have... Bye, Chewy. Every other general might have two, right? So they're just flat out the best lords in and heroes in the game because of the system. So now you can get the resource you need easier, and which means that you can get these heroes easier. Well, relatively easier. Because you still have to rotate through them, which means buying bad ones and dismissing them so that you can re- force refresh your uh, your uh, uh, agent list and general list and so on and so forth. Or, you know, buying trap ones and sending them out on suicide missions. Either way, mm. which is a thing we do at Dark Elves more than we do with anyone else. Well, Dark Elves don't care. <laughs> yeah, Dark Elves, Skaven, so on and so forth. That we, we don't care. So, but I mean, now you have uh, as. High Elf Batman, and I'm not even joking, he's an orphan. He has a grim demeanor. He uh, puts people into a prison. Read Arkham Asylum. Uh, And I forget what 
else he does. But like, there's there, there's all sorts of different things that, like, and he has a bat cave. He has a bat cave. Uh, his griffin mount does in the cinematic does the whole like cover up with the wings thing that Batman does. Daddy. Stay inside, child. Uh, so it's basically the Griffin is basically his bat jet. Yeah, pretty much. Um, he's a damn fine melee fighter, and he's a spellcaster. Like he's he, he may not be the strongest lord, but he's pretty freaking strong. And you can get him to max level quicker than anyone else if you can fight battles. His entire faction gimmick is. I will be back in a moment, y'all, to keep uh, talking here. If you're gonna go AFK, mm-hmm. why don't you just say you're going AFK? Why don't you just leave, nerd? Anyway. I'm telling. <laughs> I'm being a good host, saying I'm gonna be away for a few minutes. It's radio, no. So y'all notice. keep talking. Anyway, <laughs> listen, listen here. Don't make me bring the Inquisition on you. I mean, everyone suspects the fucking Inquisition. This is Warhammer after all. Anyway. Uh, so, you've, you've got all these different tools with the new Lord. And basically, the whole mechanic is, hey, we want you to actually play the battles, because if you play the battle and you pop this ability at the right time, you capture the general and you get benefits. Or capture the general, not the battle. Words are bad. Capture the general. You then gain additional benefits for capturing the general. Cool. Cool. So, he is the epitome of, hey, play the freaking battles, nerd. Essentially. Essentially. Um, uh, do you want to talk about Emmerich for a little bit? Um, we can absolutely, uh, yeah, I can talk about Emmerich. So I started up a game with the free DLC Lord, Emmerich, the Lord of Dragons, and he's ridiculous. He is, so Emmerich's mechanic is that he reduces the cost of dragons, he improves dragons by giving them bonuses to armor, to melee defense. What armor means to the game is a percentage of damage reduction. Uh, What melee defense means to the game is how often a unit hits you. So the higher melee defense, the less often they actually hit you. So it's kind of like a dodge. Or a block. Um, Or a block. Um, he also gives them more melee attack, which means they hit more often. Um, so he buffs dragons. He is a dragon lord. And he gets what are called dragon hunts because Imric's bloodline is basically dragon tamers. They form a bond with dragons through a magical spell, which they sing. It's a song. They call it like the dragon song. And they will form a bond with a dragon. 
So you get to go off on these hunts for dragons. Now, what what I do find was a really intuitive and smart move is that these aren't fixed points. Basically, a notification every 14 turns will show up to let you know that a dra- you sighted one of the great legendary dragons. And the point will show up somewhere near Emmerich. It, it, it's, not, it's not in a specific spot. It will follow you around and be within reach of you so you can go to it. And you get 20 turns to then go to that spot and initiate the uh, hunt. And it's not necessarily a hunt. It's dragon taming. So you get four options. You can consult the dragon. You can bargain with the dragon. You can leave it alone. Or you can challenge the dragon. When you bargain with the dragon, you pay an amount of gold and you'll get uh, the dragon's trait or special ability. Um, And you'll get a army, a faction-wide army buff of some kind for 10 turns if you bargain. If you uh, I mean, if you consult, that's if you consult. If you bargain with the dragon, you'll get a bunch of influence, you'll pay an amount, and you'll get the dragon's trait. If you leave it alone, it'll just show up later. Like, if you, if you don't have time to deal with it, you can just leave it alone, it'll show up again later. And it'll put the timer back at 14 turns to when another sighting will show up. If you challenge the dragon, you fight the dragon and an army, and if you win, you get the dragon as a uh, regiment of renown that you can recruit for no cost and just goes into your army as long as you have an open slot. And each of the dragons are on their model scale bigger than the normal dragons that you can recruit from your faction. And they all have special abilities, and they're all pretty ridiculously strong for Regiment of Renown Dragons. Now, what this also does when you challenge them is you get the dragon, you also get the trait from the dragon, and you get an army-wide faction buff for 20 turns that can range anywhere from giving you 40% fire resistance there's a lot of fire resistance in Emric's faction. I don't know when he feels he's going to be running into a lot of fire damage. I can only assume when he goes and starts uh, attacking Reichland because they have a lot of it in their Hellstorm rocket batteries, basically all of their artillery pieces. But and, like uh, he... fire wizards, uh, both Reichland, uh, Warriors of Chaos, and now High Elves have. Uh, Laura Fire. And that's true. Um, and the traits that... So let me read out the... First off, there are five dragons you can get. And I found out that after you have Emmerich go and get all of their traits, they keep showing up. And another one of your generals can activate the fight. So you car. can give all of the dragon buffs to every single one of your generals if you want to. And the dragon trait buffs and the items... Oh, and you also get a special unique item from the dragon. And they're all ridiculous. I replaced all of Emric's legendary items with the items from the dragons because they were just overall better. Like, the only thing Emric is currently missing 
is unbreakable. He's immune to psychology. He has like a plus 20 and 36 to melee and defense. He does. I um the moon dragon gave him a unique weapon that gives him frost damage. So right now I have fire and frost yep. damage on his attacks. Um he gets on my desk. he gets abilities that weaken um uh, that uh weaken or well not weaken he gets an ability that makes local enemy armies more vulnerable to fire damage if you get a fire mage with them she has a map wide effect that makes enemies more vulnerable to fire damage after the these guys are Imrit's faction is the tomb king's worst nightmare because his faction is the epitome of burn the world to the ground, scatter the ashes. Like, fire damage, make things weak to fire damage. More fire damage, make things even weaker to fire damage. It is it is insane. And if you get all of the dragon's unique items, he can't equip all of them at one time because the game has a self-imposed limit. But I've got... Three of them on him right now, and the only thing I'm looking for is the ward save talisman. But I've got his weapon is a dragon unique item, his armor is a dragon unique item, and his uh, his uh, ancient item. I think it is. It's a uh, what is it? Touch. Speed. That's the moon touch speed. Yeah, and, and his enchanted item is a uh, dragon. So he's got ridiculous amounts of resistance to everything. He is immune to psychology, which means he can't be feared or terrored, and when a unit is feared or terrored, they don't attack. So they stop attacking. Well, he can't be affected by that anymore. Um, He slows everything around him, and now that he has frost attacks, frost slows things so nothing can escape him and even if something were fast enough to get through the frost and his constant slow he has an ability that just that further weakens their armor and makes it so they can't move so even if they look like they might get away he can just stun them for like 19 seconds and just beat them into the ground so is that is that frost or is that this <coughs> horror frost I've heard so much about? It's the I think the ability is called frost. I think it's just frost or frostbite or frostbite. Yeah, that's what it is. It's frostbite, okay. and it slows the unit by like twenty two percent of their speed. But it's twenty two percent of their speed. It's on melee attack. So it, the first time he tags someone, they're slowed. Yeah. Um, which he's on a flipping dragon, which isn't the fastest unit in the game, but it's pretty freaking quick. Right? So, well, I mean, in the air, it's pretty mm-hmm. fast, but once it lands, not so much. Right. Um, whenever you're, you get into the air and you do a charge from the air, mm-hmm. um, you, you, it, the charge animation is pretty quick, and he probably has uh, whatever that one ability is that increases uh, vigor and speed for a certain amount of time. 
foe seeker as a because he's a general. Mm, doesn't even need it. He gets perfect vigor. I, you still use the uh, the uh, what should we call it? So, for our listeners that don't know how vigor works, basically, as your units get tired, their stats decrease, they get slower, so on and so forth. Uh, with perfect vigor, it completely ignores that mechanic. Basically, they fight as well at the beginning of the battle as they do at the end of the battle, or vice versa, rather, because I'm dyslexic. Yep. And... So the 20 turn buffs are all ridiculous. And the last dragon that I tamed was the moon dragon. Guess what its 20 turn buffs are? Uh, you For turn t- into a werewolf? Fuck, fuck everything. Fuck, it, fuck its face and its face. And fuck it. Fuck well, fuck David it. is closer. Because the moon dragon's 20 turn... <laughs> Faction-wide, meaning it is given to all of your armies, is negative, is uh, not negative, but 15% physical resistance, which means all melee attacks do 15% less damage, and negative 50... Melee and ranged attacks. And and ranged attacks, and negative 50% vigor loss for all dragons. And Imric has a skill in his tree that gives all dragons, that also gives all dragons negative 50% vigor, <laughs> vigor loss. So, so if they you, he only have perfect vigor for 20 turns. They have perfect vigor for 20 turns. Imric is built for a dragon army. You are meant to build him an army of nothing but dragons. And he makes them terrifying. Not even just the legendary ones, because he gives them the buffs too, because they're still dragons. So the legendary ones are even more powerful under him, and all of the normal ones are even stronger than they normally would be. See, I, I he's go ahead. Oh, he is insanely powerful for his army. Um. And a little backstory on Imric, because I did a little reading up on of, on him. He is a direct descendant of Kalidor, who was a Phoenix King. And for those who don't have any Warhammer Fantasy knowledge, the Phoenix King is the ruler of all High Elves. He is he's he's the king of the High Elves. Imric is a direct descendant of the third. Kalidor. Now, the reason uh, he's a direct descendant of Kalidor is because his particular family are the is the Cal is the Kalidor line, and Kalidor is the name that they pass down to each successive uh, heir to that throne. So when Imric took over faction as the king of uh, as the king of his faction or the king of his people, um, he became the next Kalidor. So I'm reading up on him. So we're we're hoping it's not the the Kim Jong family, but better than Kim Jong. He is not Kim Jong. Uh, he's oh he's he's a dick. He is kind of a dick. No. Though. Um, 
But what's interesting about his character? Wow! As as sorry. As soon as I mentioned that, I got the screen that was like, "We're about to disconnect unless everyone else joins back." Gotcha. Um, the thing that was interesting about Emric's lore yeah. is that he is apparently the fulcrum for the entire High Elven army. Now, in Warhammer Fantasy, spoiler alert, chaos wins. Chaos comes out of the north, washes over the entirety of the world, and destroys it. That is the in that that is the end times. The end times happens. Archaeon wins. And when I read when I read that, I was wondering how especially since the Lizardmen, the High Elves, the Empire, the, basically the Empire of Man, all, like, if they all, uh, all of these together, they were able to overcome. And it is Chaos United, so it's not like, uh, it, it's not like it would have been an easy fight, period. It would have been an even fight. But what is implied in Emric's, um, in Emric's lore is that while the rest of the world was either dealing with chaos or before right before chaos happened the high elves were in a civil war between Tyrion and Malekith because Malekith is the um Malekith of the dark elves is actually the heir to the phoenix king throne he's the he's he was supposed to become the next phoenix king but then you know he got all twisted and burnt and broken and that's when the high that's when he and his faction of high elves broke off and became the dark elves so uh, and this may but uh oh no this happened way before the chaos invasion now that i'm thinking about it but this but basically there was a civil war in the high elves that made the dark elves and well no it well yeah 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 and Tyrion ends up falling to the heir uh, uh, as the heir of Anarian. He he follows the same path and he takes up the sword of Cain. Now what that means is there is a long standing line of crazies in Tyrion's bloodline. Like his father, the first Phoenix King, went all nuts and chaotic and tried to kill everybody. Very much like Game of Thrones. Like uh, I forget what fa- the Targaryens, very much like the Targaryens in Game of Thrones. His dad was a nut- went completely insane and took up the Sword of Cain. And the Sword of Cain is a magical item that basically corrupts whoever wields it and makes and turns them into a murderous tyrant. Well, Tyrion ends up following in those footsteps and taking up the Sword of Cain, going nuts. There's a civil war, and Imric is a very prominent figure in that war and sides with Malekith against Tyrion. Eventually the two of them winning against Tyrion. Now Imric almost dies on several occasions and his dragon is a legendary dragon and one of the biggest and most powerful dragons to have existed. And this is Imric's own personal dragon. His dragon um, bonded with him out of nowhere when he almost died. And Imric never understood why. He thought it was just because he was chosen. But later on, it is implied that if Imric were to die, the entirety of the High Elves would die with him. There's no explanation for why, but that is what is implied. 
if Emric dies, that is the end of the elven race. Kind of like if you kill the original vampire, or you kill Dracula, all the vampires die. I don't think it's that intimate, but yeah, it's along those lines. I think it would be like his death would cause some kind of magical catastrophe within the elven like gen- genome or something. Mm. So it's not that if he dies, every elven would then just drop dead a second after he died. But somehow it would cause such a catastrophe that it would end the very elven race itself. I'm, also, what this... I have a theory. Okay, so he's descendant from the first uh, uh, Phoenix King, right? Uh, he's descended from the third Phoenix King. Kalidor was the third Phoenix King. Tyrion's father was either the second or the first Phoenix King. I forget exactly which. But Emric is descended from the third Phoenix King. Well, either way, um, the, let's say his bloodline goes even farther back than that, and it's to the original king or the original founder or something like that, the, the, the first High Elf, right? And that would make him the most direct descendant of the original. So let's say that it, there has to be a direct descendant of the original High Elf, the original Elf, alive uh, to keep the Elves immortal. And he's the last of the line. So he better be start baby-making, basically. Um. Uh, at least that's that's my my uh, off the cuff fan theory, um, and I couldn't find any further information on it. Like I looked, but I couldn't find anything else that talked about why, if Emric died, that would be the end of the elves. Like the, it's and it's implied that that's what that was what it was. There's nothing. Con- there wasn't like anything concrete that said this is what's going to happen if Emric dies. But it is implied that Marath, that Minithir, his dragon, bonded with him to save his life when he almost died in order to prevent that. Um. Also, uh, in a tidbit that I realized while I was reading through all of this, um, is that the civil war between Malekith and Tyrion is the reason Uthwan is the way it is. Now, for those who don't know, Uthwan, which we call the Toilet Bowl Sea, is a crescent moon island in the middle of the Warhammer map. It, it, it looks like a toilet seat. That's why, that's why we call it that. But it's a crescent moon island. It wasn't always an island. It used to all be land. But what happened was the vortex that keeps the chaos and the chaos demons from coming over into the material world, Malekith was trying to uh, was trying to uh, bring it down. He's trying to destroy it so that chaos could come back. Well, when he when the when Teclis and the other high elves, along with Emric at that time, went to stop him, the clash of them interrupting his spell created such a backlash that it created a tidal wave that is a tidal wave and an earthquake that was so large and catastrophic that even on the other side of the continent the dwarves wrote it down in their like the dwarves knew about it 
it was so catastrophic. They couldn't see what was happening, but they could feel it happening, right? Well, that was so catastrophic that it literally put that entire area underwater. And that's why Uthwain looks the way it does. <laughs> that's, and that's pretty great to me. That's pretty great. The elves had a civil war and literally drowned their lands. Well, a very large chunk of it. Uh, yeah, a very, a very large chunk of it. But, I mean, now we know why it looks like a toilet bowl. Mm. We do know now why it looks like a toilet bowl. Which is also funny when you consider the vortex in the middle of it. It's literally a fucking toilet bowl. It's literally a toilet bowl. (laughs) So... So now that we've given a little bit of backstory to Emric, let me read off some of the ridiculousness of uh, of these. So the first dragon that you run into is Brewer, the Protector of Life. He gives you the Vine Dragon Scale armor. This gives you 26 armor, which is basically damage reduction, 12 melee defense, makes you harder to hit, and a hex. And this is what gives you the hex. It gives the opponent negative 24 melee defense, meaning Emric can hit them more often, and they can't move. That's the heck that stun locks them, basically. And you then get a trait from him that gives you 18 armor and 12 more melee defense. And that's just from that dragon. Then you have uh, Gordonar, Champion of the Flame. He gives you the shunt, the Sun Shard Unique Talisman. It has 40% fire resist. It gives you a spell that increases, that gives magic damage and fire damage to, to, to units in range, giving them 25% base missile damage buff and a 30% base weapon damage buff. And gives that person uh, rage, which buffs their leadership, gives them 11% physical resist, and plus 5 melee attack. So with elves, there is a spam army called Sisters of Avalorn. These are archers that have magic and fire on their arrows. And they also armor pierce. Yeah, and they also, and the missiles armor pierce, meaning that the armor gives less damage reduction. This one item turns any archers you have into Sisters of Avalor. They're, they are, if they're not the best archers in the game, they are one of the best archers in the game. No, they're the best archers in the game. Yeah, they're just the best archers in the game. There are other, <laughs> other unit that can possibly, well, there's one other unit of archers that can outrange them, but that doesn't, that they don't, they, they don't hold the candle. Right? Yeah, not even close. And they're so much harder to get. <sighs> Watch out, baby. Um, now, Gordonar also I gives know. you the trait speed, it also gives, his trait gives you 14% speed increase and perfect vigor. Now, Brewer, if I'm not mistaken, his faction wide effect for 20 turns was uh, 
if I'm not mistaken, it gave all of your armies melee armor piercing and missiles armor piercing. So it basically gave it gave all of your melee units and all of your missile units like 50% armor piercing or something like that. It was freaking ridiculous. Because as soon as I saw it, I was like, time to go to war. <laughs> time to make someone real unlucky. It was. Uh, let's see. And Brewer is a forest dragon. Gordonar is a fire dragon. The black dragon, I have to believe, is the is CA, who are the developers, being... I have to believe that it was a joke that they they did they just threw in there because the name of the dragon is Shockalot, the calamity. If I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> yeah, it's like so Shockalot when you defeat when you defeat Shockalot, you get the blackened staff. This thing is a um mage's best friend. They get negative 25% cooldown to all of their spells because your spells in Warhammer for your mages have a actual cooldown timer. This negatives that this knocks 25% of that cooldown off. The miscast chance is negative 25%. And what a miscast is, is you have the ability in Warhammer to overcast, which is basically uh, making a spell twice as powerful. But when you do that, you have the chance of it backfiring. Well, this lowers the backfire chance by 25%, which is huge. Especially when you uh, factor in that every mage has at least one skill that gives another 15%. So this so is just a 40% miscash. It, it goes from... No, it's 40%. 25 and 15 Hold on. It goes from 15, 50% base to 35 with the talent that the mages get, plus that 25, that 45, down to, I think, 10% after everything. Well, then that would be 90%. No. It, you you have said 50% base, right? 50% chance to miscast. Minus right. 15. So Minus. everybody for a moment since we're still recording the podcast and I think we should uh, halt the podcast here and just go to Discord chat. Why? Why? You really need to ask why? Hey, this is the Warhammer segment. It's been the Warhammer segment since I was upstairs talking to my wife. Well, that's fine. We can go ahead and give our final thoughts on it and end the podcast. Then. Yes. We haven't, we haven't even done the Greenskins update. Yeah, we can we can do a small segment in the next podcast for it, or we can do a behind the scenes for it. Yes. All, all good options. So, but in so final thoughts is the DLC is really good. Um, 
uh, I remember Crit was asking me a qu- uh, was asking me before we started playing it, what was I what I was excited for, and I my response was I don't know what to be excited for because I don't know how this is going to work out. Um, and I think what I have been mo- now that I've played a, a good portion of it, what I am most excited for is Emric. Like I, I love having a full dragon army. I love that it's ridiculously strong. I love that Emric is a monster. If I can find a banner or something to give him unbreakable, I could literally just take everything out of his army, and he could kill things by himself. He could kill whole armies by himself. So, like, uh, okay. So, his- how is that going to help me in my? Uh- in my journey in the Blood Bowl 2. It's not. Unfortunately, that's not. <laughs> well, you know, I just figured I'd have to make a, a mention of me playing Blood Bowl 2 and I should pour touchdowns in the school game. I know, I'm playing that. Uh, AKA okay. the, uh, the Bumpy reference. <laughs> like if Imric was in Blood Bowl 2, he would be your half he would be your run back. He would be your star run back. You wouldn't even need a front line. Well, I mean yeah, like your defense you wouldn't even need a defensive line. Just just give him the ball. Well, it wouldn't even be that. It'd be like my one poor slovenly human kicks the the ball over to the enemy tackle zone or whatever. I mean, and then Emmerich just floats over, grabs it, and then punch, like spikes it. Like, yeah, we won. But you were the ones who just kicked. Doesn't matter. I expected I won. Yeah, pretty much. That that actually, from what I've read, sounds a lot like Emmerich. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that. But yeah, final thoughts. Yeah. But yeah, final thoughts is the D- DLC is good. If anyone's kind of iffy on it, nah, the DLC exactly. is good. Just get it. That Just get it. Get it. Spend the monies. Get it. Um, no game, no life. Still fun. Lock and key. We'll see what happens from here. We still have three more episodes. I, I need a stool. So, but yeah, all in all, uh, good stuff. Indeed. All right. So I didn't know there was only three episodes left of Lock and Key. So I might need to. Focus Dig deep, bear down, watch it. <sighs> Listen here, Craig. Get the fuck out of my head. Hey, it's not my fault that Letterkenny references go with everything. <laughs> well, it also doesn't help that you're a Marine and I'm a fucking dog face. <sighs> And no response. I'm talking to my wall. What? Currently talking to my wife and trying to stack shit in the storage unit we just got, and she managed to put her wedding dress. My wife is five foot even. 
the shelf she put her wedding dress. Meow. Hmm. Well, anyway, go ahead with your final thoughts, and we'll go ahead and end the podcast here. I. Yeah, and and I'm gonna go ahead and say, far be it from me to. You know, stop you and Crit from geeking out about Warhammer. It's just, I'm. It's fine. It's just, I'm fucking a little, very intoxicated. Obviously, if you can't understand that by now. Bleh. So. At least for the case of the state that I'm in, we're in a now kind of shitty five-week-long tier of the whole three W's thing, wash, wear, and wait six feet apart. Not sure I understand. So, wash your hands, obviously, as we've said. Wash your hands at least every 90 minutes. Um, Wear a cloth mask, although not sure how that really helps anything other than to keep you from touching your own face. And wait. Well, it's supposed to. Uh, well, it's supposed to keep when, like, if you cough or something, and you happen to be infected, it's supposed to keep it from getting into the air. Right. It yeah. helps with that. So. Yeah, and I, um, I have a a uh, by crit, I guess. I have a flash resistant uh, mask. That I that I took out of my work truck, and it's now here at the house. I mean, I have to have I have to twist. Okay, can you hear me? The, uh, okay, so at some point I got disconnected, but I can still yes. hear you. So fun. Anyway, uh, okay. where what? No, we're not talking. We're not talking I know, about dude, Warhammer anymore. We're like I know we're not talking about Warhammer anymore. Um, so yeah. Oklahoma yeah, he... has ceased its uh, crap has opened back up to the public because you know they're stupid and you know in the first. I, I, I'm part of the American Legion, and my Legion, full of old fogies who should be fucking concerned about this bullshit, have decided they want to host their small town pancake breakfast, where the average age is over 50. And I'm like, guys, did you think this went through? Well, the state says it's okay. Can you think for yourself, maybe? Maybe. 
Well, let me let me answer you. Let me answer you with a question. Should they think that it's okay? No, they should. Okay, first off, this whole pandemic has been handled poorly from the beginning. Because first, no one wanted to close down at all. And then they did so begrudgingly. And I get it. Small business owners are are hurting, right? Everyone's hurting. But if yeah. you open up the fucking every damn thing, you're going to end up with a lot more dead people. So what's more important, your economy or your people? Well, that's that. Well, that's the argument. That is the tough question that leaders who are not a certain um, and and you know what I'm just gonna say it. This this is the question that certain leaders, aside from the governor of Michigan, who just decided to just throw bars down on everything and aside from her she needs a haircut because she's the voice of that state well uh, the governor of fuck whatever uh, what, what's uh, Nick's dad what's the, what state is he in no I believe Maine it's a new is it not Maine? Oh, yeah, there, or is there, it, is it there is there is a person Maryland. Oh, yeah. wait, hang on. I knew it was an M. Here you all keep talking. Um, I'll be back in a moment. Governor of Maryland had was getting pressured to release an end date for the the quarantine. And he eventually released the end date as being whenever, basically, whenever the CDC says it's okay. Like, he didn't give an actual mm-hmm. physical date. He said, when these, re- when these uh, criteria are met, we will reopen. Which. You know, I, I feel like was the best answer he could have given. No. No, it needs, it needs to go in there somewhere. I know it needs to go in here somewhere. <sighs> so, but Oklahoma just, I mean, the Oklahomans, people of Oklahoma, have been super, have been super supportive. Of uh, what we pe- called people on the front line, the medical personnel, stuff like that. Got wheels, baby. Uh, but I mean, the the state hasn't exactly been doing sure. brilliantly. Did I get disconnected again? I feel like I got disconnected. Okay. No, I can hear you. Trying to let you get your thoughts all the way out. Hard to do when you're also doing physical labor. 
Yeah. Anyway, that's all I had at the moment, at least. Okay. Well, it was final thoughts, and we were closing up the podcast, so we're pretty much going to end it here. Um, uh, everyone who joined us on the podcast with the podcast again, uh, hope you continue having a good day. Hope you continue having a good week, and everybody be safe out there. Um, outside of that, I'm not sure where David went, but we'll go ahead and we'll end it here, and he'll probably say his goodbye at the end. Uh, I would like to thank everyone for joining us and dealing with our rambling. Uh, I know we rambled quite hard at the beginning of this, or the beginning that I joined in on. So, uh, thank everyone for coming, listening, and whatnot. Uh, Hope you are all being as safe as you possibly can, because... Not to sound like a, a a Gandalf or something, but the the second wave is coming. We're, we're this is this BS is not over yet. Mm-hmm. All right, take care, everybody. We will see you on the next podcast.